When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number three, covering August 2002. Joining me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Liam Jones. I'm Garrett Kidney. Liam, how are you doing? I am here... For TNA. I once again realized how often I introduce podcasts while introducing you, but never introducing me. Mm, just because people know who you are. You're the, you're, you're the hashtag the draw. It is quite arrogant of me to expect people just to, yeah, no, we know who that guy is. He doesn't need to say anything. But it's true, we do. That is Garrett Kidney, the foremost expert in total nonstop action. That's probably like Jeff Jarrett, but maybe second. Nah, <laughs> let's be real, he's taken too many chair shots to the head. He doesn't remember as much as you do. Also, he, he won't be truthful with you about the quality of the programming, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he'll also just lie a bunch. Which he will as well, but it's mostly to ourselves. He might not be entirely open about the degree to which elements of these programs are bad. I don't... I think they're all slam dunks. Oh, some of the best four shows in the history of wrestling are here in August 2002. <laughs> yeah, this is this is going to be a run to rival any of the greats. It does have the Dup Cup, so you can't get much better than that. Oh, hell yeah, the Dup Cup. And Monty, Monty's all over them. He doesn't do the pounce yet, though, so I don't know how excited I can get for Monty Brown. That's true. You get the Bullet, you get the X Division, you get a lot of Elvises. It's a big Elvis month. <laughs> this is a big Elvis month. This is a big SATs month. Yeah. This is a big Loki month. Both for Loki and the Marvel Studios show, but yes. Eh. You know who this isn't a big month for? Who? Scott Hall. Yeah, he disappears. Mmm. Which brings us to... Oh, we're getting straight into it. We're two minutes into the podcast and we're already oh, talking yeah, about No, TNA. we have to talk about something else first, surely. <laughs> I tried to give you like a little pivot to Loki there, but... Oh, yeah, so how have you enjoyed Loki? I think it's the best Marvel Studios show. Yeah, well, yeah, we've had this, like, three of them. And one of them is very bad, so I suppose, yes. One of them's fine. It's terrible. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, like, the worst show. It's fine. 
It's legitimately one of the worst things in the MCU. Terrible television show. Uh, as someone who is getting even more intimately familiar with the MCU, I'll tell you, it's about bang below average. Liam is watching, at the same time, going through TNA in chronological order and <laughs> the MCU in chronological order. The two most, like, pinnacle important pieces of culture and art, TNA and Marvel, watching them in order. Yes, I have just finished uh, and wrapped up Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. You hooked on a feeling? I'm hooked on a feeling. I forgot the next lyric. Something about believing, I think. I'm high on a feeling. I'm high on believing. There you go. And those two movies are good. Probably the pinnacles of the MCU so far. That's Captain America, the first Avenger. That is the third best thing, yes. Actually, it might be the second best. No, Agent Carter Season 1 is the second best thing. Noted Tanner Twitter personality. <laughs> oh, well, Tanner sucks. <laughs> what are we going to Tanner for anything? Released his MCU review order, and he had, like, Captain America the First Avenger in, like, 20th or something, with Iron Man 2 above it. And it's the most upsetting thing I've ever seen in my life. I like Iron Man 2, but it's nowhere near as good as <laughs> the First Avenger. You should not like Iron Man 2. It's a terrible movie. It is better than what you remember it to be. It, like, you go back and watch that, it's like, oh, yes, okay, this is fine. It's not great, but it's fine. Same with Iron Man 3. I think both of those movies um, were a terrible first watches, but once you've gone past it, you're like, okay, it's not that bad. Is it, though? No, what's bad is The Incredible Hulk. Hulk is a movie that I liked the first time. Then I rewatched it, it's like, why did I like this? It's not a good movie. I don't mind like the Thors. The Thors, I think, are fine. For the most part. I haven't gone to the good Thor, but... Should we... You know the way everyone's like, what's the order you should watch these movies in? Should you watch it in a release order? Should you watch it in chronological order? Should you watch it in a different order? Should we assemble a, a definitive TNA release order? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, at the end we'll be like, alright, you gotta start with 05. <laughs> Just know that some good shit can happen. Then you go back to O2, and then you, whenever there's like a large period of suffering, you have to jump to a period of good. Yeah, just to remind you why you're still in the game. Uh, so you mentioned Scott Hall. There is a bunch of people who stopped showing up during this month as we talk about the big headline things that happened in the month of August, which are more or less the same big headline things that happened in the month of July, but again, and more worse. It's a good sign for the health of the company. Yeah, everything's going fine. So two of the biggest stars in the early days of TNA were Scott Hall and Ken Shamrock, both of whom wrapped up in August of 2002. Scott would come back, but Scott was on a four-show deal. He did his four shows, and then they didn't have the money for him anymore because he's one of the most expensive guys in the show. So they're like, listen, we want to bring you back, and we've actually quite enjoyed working with you, but also we're absolutely broke and can't afford you anymore, which is a shame because Scott was one of the better things on these shows. I was going to say, I, I noticed Scott Hall going away. I didn't notice Ken Shamrock leaving. Yeah, Ken, the other big one is Ken, who was thoroughly boring. And he departs because he was doing a UFC fight later that year against Tito Ortiz. Where he was probably going to make a lot more money than he did from this run. So fair play. A lot more money, I would imagine. And it would be a lot more important to his career and his legacy, those fights against Tito Ortiz, than this TNA run ever was quite. But... Ken would drop the belt to Ron Gillings, which we'll talk about when we get to talking about NWA TNA pay-per-view number 8. But that that is the end of Ken Shamrock in a really underwhelming, disappointing run. I think it's disappointing because you see Ken Shamrock on the marquee and you're like, oh, this is going to rule. And then it just kind of never reached any notable levels. 
Like, I think he probably peaked the hardest on the debut show with the Malice Angle, because that was hot. And then maybe his last match he did, where he dropped the belt, was pretty good. And then, like, everything else was just kind of there. Even a match that you think you should be good, a Sabu match, ladder against submission, was boring as heck. But to be fair, it's like, you, I don't know if you necessarily think that match is going to be good, but you think it's going to be entertaining. You think it's going to be something, and it was just kind of nothing. Yeah, at the very least, it should be interesting. It was just thoroughly boring. Hmm. So, th- there was a, a multiple beliefs about Ken. People thought that maybe he wasn't willing to do a lot in the wrestling ring because he was fearing getting injured because he did have that big fight against Tito Ortiz coming up. Which, again, kind of fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you would protect yourself for the thing you're going to make the most money from. You wouldn't want to get hurt wrestling Malice. And then... <laughs> Have to pull out of your big UFC fight. And to be fair, if he did get hurt wrestling Malice, they should just replace him with Malice in the UFC fight. Oh, Malice versus Tito Ortiz? What a dream match. It's a TNA dream match, too. <laughs> and the other thing was Ken was one of the more expensive guys, and I think everyone kind of accepted his performances were underwhelming, so they kind of were happy to let him go, even though he was contracted, as we mentioned, through the year. But he just he did show up again in 2004. We'll get to him again in, in two years. And obviously, again, down the line in 2019, when he was inducted to the Hall of Fame and he wrestled Moose and... The Ken Shamrock resurgence run. Yes, and he had the tag team run with Sammy Callahan. So we'll talk about him again in two years and in 17 years. (laughs) But uh, this is the end of Ken Shamrock's run, a thoroughly disappointing, underwhelming thing. Yeah, but, you know, I guess he served his purpose in that, that first show. It was a big deal to have Ken Shamrock win the NWA title. After that, I don't know if it ever really achieved much, but at least we had that first moment. And at least he put someone over on the way out. I was going to say, at least he put over Ron on the way out as well. And the match is ripe with interference and classic TNA, but Ron wins, more or less. So, Which he could have just not done, you know? He could have vacated it just like the tag titles were vacated, and they could have just done a tournament that Ron could have won. But he at least went out on his back. So one of the, the, the reasons that Ken Shamrock disappeared, one of the reasons that Scott Hall disappeared is we talked about the company going broke in July. Uh, August is when the company did like legitimately go broke. They ran out of money. There's a name we haven't mentioned yet that we probably should have mentioned at this stage, and that's Health South. They, they were the secret investors at the time of, of uh, TNA. People didn't know who was, uh, like the, who was the financial backing behind TNA. People thought it was just the Jarrett's. It turned out they did have a, a financial backer, Health South, uh, run by Richard Scrooge, who I actually interviewed at one stage when I was um, actually thinking of writing the book, <laughs> which I still haven't mm. done. And uh, when I talked to him, I was like, so why did you actually invest in TNA? And there was a couple of reasons, some of which didn't quite add up, but some of which made more sense. Uh, the first one, he was like, oh, it would be good marketing for Health South if we were in bed with this hot wrestling company and it, we, we'd be able to promote Health South, which didn't quite add up because they were a silent partner in the beginning. So it's like, it's not marketing for you at all. You weren't actually mentioning anything regarding being a partner of TNA. I guess the, the alternative would have been like, that would have been the long-term plan. Mm. Change it up and to make them a a forefront of the promotion. The second one was one that made a little more sense, that the Health South would then provide the health services, because they're a health services company uh, based in Birmingham, Alabama. They would provide the health services to all the wrestlers. So if the wrestlers got hurt, they'd make some money back because they'd uh, provide all the, the, the like health care and whatnot to the wrestlers. Oh, wrestlers with health care in 2002. <laughs> yeah, and it never panned out in typical fashion with wrestlers and health care. <laughs> mm. And the third one, the one that makes most sense, honestly, and he was very open about that, is he just liked Jeff Jarrett. 
Well, Jeff Jarrett's probably an incredibly likable guy when he's in the boardroom, when he's in the, the marketing office and he's doing a pitch. I'm sure it's very easy to like one Jeff Jarrett. So, yeah, he, he literally just said, I liked Jeff Jarrett, I believed in him, I wanted to, to support him, so I did. And relative to the amount of money that Health South was making, the investment, which I think was $1.1 million, uh, according to Jerry's book, was relatively pocket change compared to everything else that was going on in that company. So they're like, yeah, sure, why not? Just a small loan of a million dollars. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to be like, oh, yeah, that's not that much money. It's fine. Mm. Just, a, just a little pocket change on my um my vanity project with uh, Jeff. There is a, an important note that might inform a little bit more of it in that Richard Scrooge, the, the head of Health South, has been indicted for fraud multiple times. <laughs> Mm. So mm. okay, now I'm starting to see the pocket change aspect. He has been criminally charged for defrauding Medicare people. <laughs> he was in the news in like or August 2002 for conveniently selling a bunch of Health South shares shortly before a Medicare contract was dropped. So that would be thoroughly inside trading. And yeah, there he went to jail at one stage. So. <laughs> Allegedly. Now, what's. I don't see the problem with a little bit of insider trading. If you have the knowledge, why not use it? Well, to be fair, it's not allegedly. He was sentenced to six years and ten months in federal federal prison in 2007. Just just make sure, you know, like, what's chucking allegedly on there just in case. But yes, uh, so Jerry Jarrett actually speculates in his book that he never ran the investment by his board, and that's why the reason they actually went broke in August of 2002 was held out to take McCall. It's like, hey guys, we're actually pulling our investment. Which is the point at which the company did actually run out of money because HealthSouth was funding the company. And when they said, we're not funding this company anymore, the company was actually out of money. There's a full section in Jerry Jarrett's book, which is fascinating. They play a very high game of high stakes like poker with HealthSouth, where he talks about, they go into a board meeting and they're basically like, we are willing to declare ourselves bankrupt, where you will be the ones that will be liable for the $1.1 million you invested, plus... The, the uh, 400,000 letter of credit to, to in demand, you would be in, uh, hit in the pocket for 1.5 million plus another 70,000 of expenses that we have currently out. And he, he literally went into that boardroom meeting with Health South. They didn't have a hand to play. It's like, we are broke. If you're like, we're pulling their investment, we're like, oh, well, then we have to shut the company down, sure. But apparently his high stakes game of poker worked where they gave him an extra 150000 to fund through two more shows, which is the reason the, the last two shows were taped back to back. The August 21 and August 28 shows were taped on the same night and they were off on the first show of September because they did an X Division special. They were always supposed to be off on the second show of September because it fell on September 11th, which would have been the first anniversary of 9-11. So they were never going to do a show then. So they cut the first show in September. They were never going to do a show on the second week of September. So they were finished on the 21st of August and essentially were not producing another show until the 18th of September, which is basically a full month. So they had a full month once Health South funded that August 21 taping to find new money because Health South was done with TNA. The fact that this company is alive <laughs> in some fashion is truly remarkable. From the beginning, the world was against them. There was the wide-scale fraud from Jay Hassman. Allegedly. There was the Health South pulling funding after only two months of the company existing. Their their partner pulled their funding. And the, then the company somehow still survived. Because that's what TNA does. <laughs> In many ways, a company that can be compared to a cockroach. <laughs> and 
mostly, in fact, for the fact that they managed to survive everything. Listen, the company has embraced it. There's literally a pay-per-view called Hard to Kill now, so... I think all it took for, like, Impact to sort of gain its notoriety back with people was just an acknowledgement of what it was. <laughs> if you just go out there and go, yeah, we know, TNA, let's go. And everyone's like, oh, alright, they understand now. They're not pretending that it's not TNA. A little bit of self-awareness. Yeah, it's all, I think I think all companies could do with a good dose of uh, self-awareness. So HealthSouth agreed to fund the company, but they do have a, a, a condition. They want to increase the amount of equity they have in the company to 40% until they are paid back in the $1.1 million that they gave in. They hadn't actually paid out, I believe, the entire $1.1 million. They were paying it in installments per TV taping, and they basically called them on the, the 15th of August being like, we're done, we're not giving you any more. So that's what the big meeting was about, that it's like, you you should really continue at least funding us through these tapings, which was uh, for 150000 more. And they did. But, as I said, with the condition that they wanted 40% of the company now, which they were perfectly willing to give away because if the company was about to go bankrupt, 40% of nothing is still nothing. <laughs> They're perfectly mm. fine giving away 40% of nothing. It's pretty remarkable how at this stage, the Jarrett's were, like, pretty secure in what happened regardless. Like... Even if it went bankrupt, it really wouldn't be too much off their backs. Well, Jerry was quite worried because he was like, it's either going to be the best thing I ever did or I'm going to go broke. Because Jerry was like, I have another 170000 that I could, in theory, put into the company. Mm. If HealthSouth did pull all of their contributions, Jerry was like, I have 170000 that I have put away that I could put it in. But the question is, is it worth it? <laughs> Uh, thankfully, he didn't have to answer that question for himself because HealthSouth eventually ponied up the 150k that allowed them to do that August 21 taping. And then they had a, a as is the story of TNA, a stroke of bizarre luck. The stroke, brother. Ah, there you go. That's where the Jeff Jarrett thing. It's actually funny. You mentioned on the one of the on the watch along, you were looking at Jeff Jarrett's face, being like, "That's just a guy who looks worried." Yeah, I uh, forget which. It would have been eight, right? Yeah. So there's this one segment where Jarrett was out there and just like. He, he looks like he's trying to go out there and be Stone Cold Jeff Jarrett, the Jeff Jarrett that we know and love and respect as the ace of the company. But you could just tell in his face that, like, he wasn't certain about everything going on at this point. Like, he looked like a man who had maybe, like, lost some sleep over the last couple of weeks. He looked like a man who had a, a million dollars of debt. Which he did. And he looked mm. like a man whose finance was suddenly pulled and was in deep trouble. Mm. But fair play to him, he went out there and he still <laughs> didn't do the job, but he did a job. He still went out there and hit people with chairs. Hey, I'll go into him. I'll go a million in debt just to hit people with chairs too. So after that August 19 uh, meeting with Health South, where they got the extra funding for the August 21 tapings, they basically had two options. They were desperately trying to syndicate TNA inter- internationally. They were trying to sell TNA in international markets, particularly the UK. Didn't have much luck with their, that. But they also went to their, their PR firm, their PR advisor, Trifecta Entertainment, run by none other than Dixie Carter. And they were just like, we, we've got to update Dixie on, you know, the state of things with Jay Haspin. We've got to update Dixie on the state of things with HealthSouth so our PR people know what's happening and know how to, to actively manage this situation. And Dixie was just sitting there. They had no idea who Dixie Carter was. Jerry mentions this in, in his book that he's just like, he just thought she was a, a nice southern girl running a PR firm until she finds out that her dad runs a billion dollar energy company. And <laughs> Dixie is like, oh, hey, you know... My dad might actually be interested in this. And that's a story we will continue talking about in September. So yeah, that's what I was, I was thinking. I was like, was it Dixie being like, hey, I'm the goddess. I'll come in. I'll save your company right now. Or was like the Jared smelling blood and just, oh, someone with money. Let's go. 
<laughs> well, according to Jerry's book, he did not know Dixie had money. They didn't know who Dixie mm. was because Dixie was just the uh, relation Jeff Jarrett had in the music industry. I think they lived in the same apartment complex at one stage. I remember seeing that story on the History of TNA Year One DVD where they were just loose acquaintances and they just knew her for the PR firm. So they did. They like, yeah, Dixie will do our PR. Why not? And they went to her. She was like, oh, my dad runs this gigantic energy company. I'm super rich. He watched all of the shows and liked them, which, you know, what? Debatable. <laughs> like, like the quote in Jerry's book is just like, oh, uh, Dixie said that uh, her dad watched all of the shows and, and, and knew that we knew wrestling. And I'm like, hmm. I want to see Dixie's dad just hanging out, watching puppet matches, freaking out like us. I hope if, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Dixie's dad's alive, if he is in that event. Feel free, sign up to the Patreon, ten dollar $10 tier, get the watch alongs with us, you can come on the show, hell, you can even buy the show. Whatever you want to do. We should definitely get Bob Carter on for <laughs> watch Yeah, let's invite Bob Carter on, we'll ask him, you know, what did you think of those early shows, because you watched them all, and also, will you please finance us? <laughs> Listen, it's like Ted Turner. Everyone's like, when will Ted Turner get back in the wrestling industry? <laughs> no, when will Bob Carter get back in the wrestling biz? But yeah, that's the story we'll we'll continue covering next month. The increased interest in Panda Energy in TNA and the savior of TNA, basically. I don't think it's a surprise that TNA does not go bust here. What? I know, it's like the podcast ends in September. God, I thought this podcast was going to be over by then. Well, on the bright side, there's barely any shows in September. That is a bright side. <laughs> Our next episode is going to be very short because there's only two episodes to cover. But we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Basically, that that going bust influences pretty much everything else we're going to talk about for most of the big stories of the month. Ed Ferrara was, uh, you'll notice, mm. no longer on these shows. I'll tell you right now, for about half of a show, I did not notice. Neither did I. <laughs> when they cut to the, the announce table... I was like, wait, Ed's not there. I was like, wait a minute. Mike and Don, isn't something missing here? I literally started like rolling back in the show to see if like there was an angle where he got taken out or something. Because like, he did actually, he didn't call most of the, well not most, half of the, the NWTNA pay-per-view number 8 because he was in the Dup Cup match. But then he came back the week after. Yeah, so he came back on, on August 14th and then he was gone for good on August 21. As it turns out, like like the, the company line at the time when he, when he left was like, oh, you know, he's going to pursue other interests. As it turned out, the company had no money and there was a chance he might not get paid, so he bailed immediately. <laughs> Which, again, fair enough. Yeah, the, in the book, he was like, oh, Jerry was like, Jeff Jarrett was, was dumb to hire all his friends, and now he's learning how business really works. It's like, nah, pal, if you're not going to pay somebody, they have every right to bail. Did you, I don't know if you managed to catch my little Ed Ferrara note that I found while searching to be Ed Ferrara Wikipedia. I, I didn't. Please tell me. In July of 2013... Ferrara obtained his Master's of Fine Arts degree in creative writing for the uni- from the University of Southern Maine's Stone Coast program. Ferrara currently resides in Florida, where he teaches creative writing for entertainment at Full Sail University. <gasps> My God, that's why NXT the way is the way it is. Yeah, Ed Ferrara's back in the biz, brother. Do you think he just pokes his head in every so often? It's like shaking my head. This is no dub cup. <laughs> No, he, sh- he pops his head in for a second and he approves. He's like, this carrion cross shit's the coolest shit I've ever seen in my life. Look at my kids. Look at what they're making. 
But yeah, basically what what I saw from Big Ed was for the most part he was just teaching creative writing classes. So that's the the creative endeavor he went to pursue after he left TNA. And yeah, basically, yeah, Big Ed out there in full sail. That's why the the parking lots are so dangerous. <laughs> oh no. Ed Ferrara was just out there willing willing and ready to spear someone at any moment. He does, he is fond of spearing people and groping people based on his television character. The other big carryover from the month of July is that the company filed a lawsuit against Jay Hassman, which it's all fairly boilerplate. He committed fraud, blah 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 blah. His partner Len Sabal released a statement to Peter Retort where he's like he kind of disputed everything that happened that he was giving out about the the amount that they owed the Health South. Based on Jerry's book, he tended to roll that back as the month went on. He was like calling TNA, being like, "Oh no, I'm tying myself to the sinking ship of a fraud." No, no, oh no. Like speaking of fraud, <laughs> Richard Scrooge went to jail for fraud. So did Jay Hassman eventually. I don't believe related to the TNA fraud. I believe he committed another fraud that caused him to go to jail eventually. This is sure. This sure is a lot of alleged flaw. Uh, fraud. <laughs> it is flawed fraud. Because you, if you don't get away with it, inherently it's flawed fraud. It's just so much fraud from the beginning. A lot of fraud going on around TNA. We're not nowhere near the biggest fraud yet, Eric Bischoff. If you want to hear us talk about ah. the biggest fraud, you will have to subscribe at patreon.com slash kiddingme to listen to our, our Patreon series. Feel free to dump all of your illegal pay- money into Patreons on, <laughs> on our Patreon. If you are committing fraud, we will accept your fraud money. <laughs> if you're committing fraud, boy, do I have an offer for you. The $10 hit here on the Patreon, if you've got to be kidding me. Uh, Jay Hasman released a statement during this period, which is one of the most, like, weird, deranged, (laughs) off-kilter things I think I've ever seen in my life. It's, you know, usually when, like, you're being sued by somebody, you get your lawyers to release a very boilerplate, like, this didn't happen, blah, 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 we will address these, that's not the statement he released. (laughs) It's... A bizarre, borderline gibberish nonsense statement that it's in the full, the full thing is in the show notes if you want to read it in full on Patreon. We're not going to read it in full. I feel like you should read it in full right now. You want me to read it in full? Yeah. I will read it in full then. I will be a man who will do what the podcast needs. Yeah, I think the podcast wants. So Jay Aspen said, quote, he said, she said, paranoia reigns. One impugns, another seconds. A rumor is suddenly verified as truth. All spirals outward. Everybody's living in fear. Disasters on the horizon. Anger. Hatred is incited from within. As with venomous leak scoops. With five minutes later, one wrestling.com exclusive, exclusive and extensive interviews. Read, in actuality, diatribes. Manipulative, scandalous follow-ups. Mixed with rumor-mongering. And not only attempted character assassination, but also highlighted by threats of death <laughs> by shooting. All this, just because some people don't understand, won't listen, and regardless of how many times they're explained, just don't get it. Don't get it. Misinterpret. Cycle bad info in-house. Get confused. Lose focus. Strike out helter-skelter. And when all else seems incomprehensible through a blood-wrenching fog of self-deception, scream, Get the lawyers! Bob and Ray Dudley saw with tables. He's going to say, like, Team 3D. (laughs) Time for a reality check, guys. Better yet, let's try for a couple of reality checks, all centred on the infamous complaint impetuously filed by JSE and destined to become laughably laughable classic in the cable and pay-per-view business and its workings. So what's it about, Alfie? Try this for starters. Can I read all of this? It goes for like another like seven paragraphs. <laughs> That's it? I thought it ended at or just Elder JJ. <laughs> no, it goes all the way down to Jay Hasman. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, there you go. You got the most salacious, fun insane bits at the start 
the first uh, paragraph of which just sounds like a Hideo Kojima game description. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, it's like, this is Metal Gear dialogue. It's like, Snake, he sheds, she said. Paranoia, <laughs> Paranoia reigns. reigns. One imbues, another seconds. A room is suddenly verified as old truth. It's bizarre. He's literally writing poetry. Basically, what it comes down to is he claims that they had no money for marketing. That's like the crux of the thing, which is probably true, but also you fraud, fraudified. I can't come up with a word. <laughs> it was fraudulated last week. Fraudified this week. <laughs> Committing fraud. Forged, I think, is the word I'm looking for. Instead of fraudified Forged. and fraudulated and <laughs> fraudology and all of the other imaginary words that I'm coming up with. Which, by the way, I hear Jay Hassman is teaching fraudology in Full Sail University. <laughs> Allegedly. But uh, he basically claims that they had no marketing money. He did take the job with WWE, but they should have known that. And They should have known that. I told them nothing and they should have known. He gives out that the marketing budget was only 72 grand, which seems like a lot, honestly, but still. Yeah, he goes into all cap shouting. As I said, the whole thing's on the Patreon. It's one of the most bizarre things I've ever read in my life. And I can't imagine that if you would ever read something from a man like this, you'd be like, I'm going to hire that man. He seems competent. P.S. No telephone calls, please. My lawyers say nothing but prepared statements in order to prevent any more downright Constantian crisis creations. P.S. Email any questions to me and I will only answer the ones that the council says I can. I find that fascinating because that suggests that his legal counsel read and approved this statement. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, shit. <laughs> I like his other one. He sets it up like a promo. But that's a matter for the next statement. According to Jay, we'll call that one number two. And it's coming your your way soon. So stay tuned for more loony times. Like, this guy was an executive in WCW. And working for <laughs> WWE at the time, technically. And this is what he puts out there as his official statement about what happened here. He's clearly been around wrestling too much because he's just cutting a promo as his official statement. It's gone to his head. It's ruined him. Allegedly. So your wrestler pay was cut. There's a fun note in the PW Torch that uh, people are jealous of how much AJ Styles is being paid because apparently he was being paid 800 bucks per appearance. That's how he could afford that nice new blue gear. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm getting paid. I'm going to splash out in the fancy gear. Now that I'm a big uh, main event heel. Loki was being paid 600 bucks per appearance, and a lot of people then had their pay cut from 500 to 300 Well, uh, like, why are they mad at that, though? It's like, okay, the two guys that we're building our, like, our championship around, we're going to pay more. Well, the, the direct quote in the PW Torch is, a number of TNA wrestlers feel that the Jarrett's are investing too heavily in AJ Styles. TNA just, they resented him from the start, what can we say? I know from last month, the Briscoes drove themselves to Nashville and then walked away with 200 bucks after working a couple dark matches. Or a dark match and then getting squashed. Ooh, those d- those damn Briscoes. Not making a ton on that one. It's pro- how, like, I don't know, how much are they making at Ring of Honor at that time either? So, they went there for a shot. Hot dog and a handshake and 200 bucks. The true pro wrestling payday. That's, I'm sure there's a lot of people in pro wrestling that would be very happy for that payday. To be fair, if you look at the asylum, they seem to have a very nice concession stand. So I'd imagine they probably have pretty good hot dogs. I was going to say, they, they they have a great setup there. You think Chad eats all the hot dogs? Oh, I fucking bet Chad eats all the hot dogs. So there's this fan in the crowd, Chad. Oh. <laughs> Who seemed to tone back his antics as these shows went on, but we didn't mention him last month. He is a cult! He got in a fight with the crowd last, last month. He was pulling his shirt up and he was fondling his nipples. He was doing all sorts yes. of things. With a sign that says Chad. Yes. And during this show, there was a, ch- uh, a sign. Chad had a sign. There's the Chad section. 
There was a whole, there is a chat section. There's a bunch of people. There seems to be like infighting going on within the asylum between like the old school, like Southern wrestling fans. And the Chads. And the Chads. (laughs) The virgin old school wrestling fans (laughs) and the Chad, Chad squad. Yes. They would go on to, I believe, dub themselves the heel squad or the heel section later over time. Wait, no, the Chad section or the old, or the old school fans? The Chad section, I believe. Oh no, Chad, I was on your side until you were hashtag heels. We'll track this uh, crowd feud as it continues to develop. There's something to be said about, like, hosting events at the same place every time, because, like, there's legitimately storytelling within this crowd. Because there's the Chad stuff, but there's also the Athena stuff, which has not wavered in any way. No, these people still want to see Athena. (laughs) Whatever or whomever Athena is. Someday we will see Athena and that crowd will go mild. Or no, the two people in the crowd that want Athena will go mild. (laughs) Yeah, they'll go nuts. But to be fair, they're putting their money into those signs because those are some high quality signs. They got glitter. Mm. And um, Chad, of course, tnachad at hotmail.com. I I emailed tnachad at hotmail.com trying to get in touch with Chad, but the email bounced back. I then tried emailing tnachad at outlook.com just in case it was the hotmail Uh part that was... And that didn't bounce back, but also we didn't get a reply. We should send one to tnachad at live.com, because maybe he got swapped over into that thing. Oh, and Gmail. We should just send every email extension possible. At msn.com. tnachad. We're going to find tnachad. Yeah, so this is a call out there to tnachad. If you're out there, please get into contact with us, along with <laughs> Bob Carter. Yeah, Chad had a band. I, I can't remember what they were called, but I was on his website, or the archived version of his website. I'll tell you right now, uh, the Chad section was way more uh, big and bolsterous at the start of the month than at the end of the month. At the end of the month, there was only two people in the Chad section. So you're saying Chad is, is losing, he's not getting over, he's losing heat? His cult of personality is faltering. The, the fans don't believe in Chad anymore? Because there was a movement toward the end for Chad to win a match of the week. Or a fan of the week, even. Fan, fan, of, the, fan of the night, spelt N-I-T-E. I found a photo of Chad and his website because there's an archived <gasps> version of TNAchad.com that actually works. <gasps> I'll, I'll insert it into the show notes. I'll DM it to you on Twitter. There's a there's a photo of, of Chad. We will put it in the show notes as well. That's so you can... the, that is a Chad, to be fair. <laughs> Look at this photo of Chad. I like that it's in black and white, so it kind of frames as like, rest in peace, Chad. Chad, as I add, add it to the notes so people know who it is. There you go. If you want to see the photo of Chad, you can... Go to tnachad.com. Or <laughs> just a photo of Chad. <laughs> Shout out Chad. Chad, if you're out there, please get in contact with us. You can be our second interview. Um, who was our first interview? <laughs> Dixie's dad. Oh, right. Obviously. Uh, Chad had a band called Cosumel. C-O-Z-U-M-E-L was the name of his band. But the website doesn't work anymore, which makes me quite sad. Ah. Is he on Spotify? Oh, maybe not. Let me check. Is Cosmo on Spotify? <laughs> this is going to be 15 minutes dedicated to Chad. If anybody knows Chad, by the by the way. Like, I'm not joking. When I'm, I'm, there's an open invitation to Chad, please. We will perfectly happily talk to Chad in the show. We want to get to the bottom of the crowd feuds that are going on in WATNA during this year. And if you were a part of the other side of the crowd. Yeah, if, if you're the tradition people. Maybe we can bridge the gap. Realistically, this is actually getting to the deep themes that TNA would go into. Like, Chad is the new school, and the, the, the friends of the old Ch- is school. Is Chad a member of sex? Chad Chad would be a member of sex, I think. Have you seen mm. that photo? Also, you know, <laughs> the virgin old school fans versus the Chad sex. Was <laughs> it a extreme, baby. So there's ten whole minutes on Chad. If you know Chad, if you are Chad, put us in touch with Chad. 
Chad is definitely not listening. But someone who might know Chad might listen. Yeah. And please send us, like, a modern day photo of this exact photo so we can confirm that it is, in fact, the Chad. <laughs> the TNA Chad. I love the idea that we'll be sitting there analyzing these photos side to side by side, yeah. being like, hmm, is that Chad? Mm. I'm going to at TNA Chad and see if he exists. Oh, he better have a Twitter. That's not a thing. Account okay. suspended! Oh, that, that makes sense, though. That's probably the real Chad, then. Chad probably posted, like, videos of him fondling his nipples and got suspended off Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we have any more broad notes to talk about this month. Really? I think we... Yeah, I have, like, like pages of stuff, but I think we covered it. Yeah, it's mostly just people getting paid. <laughs> so, yeah, TNA poor, run out of money, uh, Jay Hasman still a fraud, allegedly. And <laughs> allegedly. Held South Pole funding, Dixie swoop in, Ed Ferrara say bye. Really, uh, about a year so far. About a month. A month that feels like a year, probably. Oh, there's a fun note uh, from The Observer. They have been sponsoring segments on Bob and Tom's syndicated morning show. For the past seven weeks, they've run the same copy ad copy, plugging the same outdated lineup. Last week's sportscaster, <laughs> Chick McGee, which is such a sportscaster name, isn't it? All right, we're going to go down to Chick McGee to read the, the new TNA wrestling action. Started mocking that fact during a paid commercial segment, saying that they've been plugging the same outdated lineup for six weeks and the organization must not care because if they did, they'd get them new copy. Imagine calling out somebody who's giving you money on the air for being lazy and not bothering to send you new ad copy. <laughs> One of the listeners, not the promotion, wrote them the new lineup and they read it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you would like to promote your lineups on this podcast, you can... Uh, you can get in touch, and we'll, you can sponsor the podcast. We're the, it's it's become bizarre now. We're we're wrestling podcast sponsor wrestling shows, and we're we'll, we we yeah. will never sponsor a wrestling show. We will never sponsor wrestler unless we book the show, which I guess technically we would be sponsoring it. Yes, if if Bob Carter again wants to give us money to launch yes. TNA two, we will sponsor it. And it's you. It will be you've got to be kidding me. Presents TNA two. Yes, it'll be NWA TNA two. And, um, of course, you know, open invitation still from the Wednesday Night War Games days. Tony Khan, if you want to sponsor us too, feel free. Jump in the DMs. Like, I know we're always talking about booking ideas, but, you, you know, we can get to the financial stuff too. Feel free. So, yeah, TNA seems to be a bit of a mess. Everything's falling apart. They have no money. A sentence I'm sure we will never <laughs> say ever again. TNA, never a mess. How dare you? TNA is just a messy bitch of a promotion, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. That's kind of why you love it, though, isn't it? Yeah. You see, like, it, it's never been good enough as a wrestling company to, like, actually invest in a wrestling company. But as a story mm. of just a series of endless train wrecks, it's quite amusing. So, what more could you I want? I feel like, actually, this was the month, quite appropriately to what you were just saying, where I gave up on this being a wrestling company that I liked. <laughs> like, as a wrestling company. I was like, okay, it's gonna have moments that make me go, oh, there's some good wrestling on here. But for the most part, this isn't gonna be were great promotion that I'm, like, raving about the matches for. Clearly you hate TNA, is what you're saying. Hopefully not. <laughs> Rating all the AJ Styles, Loki, Jerry Lynn matches, Lord, and everybody else. <laughs> By everyone else, do you just mean you? There's two people rating things, and you're, you're giving them lower star ratings than me, so... I'm giving them accurate star ratings. And if you want to see our star ratings, get a fucking Patreon. Patreon.com slash getting we do the spreadsheet of star ratings. Alright, no more of that. Here. Now we're here for the pay-per-view reviews. Yes, we have talked about all the major themes and Chad, so we will talk about the pay-per-views. <laughs> well, Chad is the major theme, arguably. <laughs> to be fair, if you listen to our, the reason you've only given three and a, uh, three quarter stars to the first Styles Lynn uh, Loki three-way is you did spend the entire match talking about Chad. Well, listen, if there's something more compelling going on, I'm going to pay attention to it. There is audio proof on Patreon of you 
spending that entire match talking about Chad. Can anyone blame me? NWA TNA pay-per-view number 8, August 7, 2002, with 500 people in tents at the National Fairgrounds. What would become the TNA Asylum, but not quite yet. Still a week away. A big show, a big main event. He's here? No, Paul White is not here. Oh, I thought he was going to make the jump. You got so excited for a second, I was very confused. I thought he was going to cross the line. We had the debut of the uh, the <laughs> SAT as they faced the Flying Elvises alongside Amazing Red. The SAT, uh, Joel and Jose Maximo. What a wonderfully bizarre, terrible, but great team that they are. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of, like, like what who's, like, someone else's, like, super influential, but, like, never really fantastic. And I was like, are they kind of, like... I don't even want to put them on the same level because I feel like some people are going to get very offended to it. But, like, they remind me of, like, Hayabusa in that, like, super influential high flyer that deserves, like, a bunch of respect and probably doesn't get as much as he deserves. But also, like, kind of sloppy and and going to, like, do some things that are wonky throughout, like, all of the matches. And like, that's exactly what the SATs are as well. They will do something glorious and magnificent and something you've never seen before. And they will immediately follow it up with something wildly inventive and, like, interesting but that does not come off whatsoever. And then they will fall over. <laughs> They'll trip trying to kick someone or something. They're just amazing, remarkable pro wrestlers that are fascinating to watch because, like, there's a lot of wrestlers you be watching and like, oh, they're doing their headlock and they're doing their drop-down float over arm drags and punches. And then, you know, it was like... There's a lot of Brian Lawlers here. Keeping it very simple, keeping it very safe, keeping it very boring, not pushing the boat out, not trying to do something that they can't do. Whereas the Maximals are like, there is some b- remarkable unearned confidence. Yeah, they definitely have the, the attitude of, fuck it, let's try. Where <laughs> they will just be like, we have no idea really what we're even trying to do here, but we're going to still try and do it live on pay-per-view. And you know what? Sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. And even if it doesn't, the crowd will still go, what the fuck? Uh, And we did get the first Spanish fly, an actual Spanish fly, not a one-man Spanish fly, which people incorrectly have called for years. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) You're right. I'm I'm, I'm Jim Ross. I'm giving out about announcers. It's like, it's not a Spanish fly. It's a one-man Spanish fly. A Spanish fly I wish that Jim Ross would make that complaint. (laughs) Like, imagine if on Dynamite... Uh, Phoenix does a one-man Spanish fly, and he goes, that's the Spanish fly. Jim Russell's like, actually. <laughs> when the Maximals did it involved two people. <laughs> I would love Jim Ross to name-drop the Maximals on Dynamite. Do you think Jim Ross has ever heard of the SAT? No. He probably knows who Red is, though, right? Um, No. Oh, well, fair enough. Uh, the Maximals and Red lost to the Flying Elvises. A uh, pretty fine match. This is a, like you said, big Flying Elvis uh, month that we're preparing ourselves for at this stage. Yeah, a lot going on. There's many Elvis angles. These are really the two teams of this month that you could point to. You have the most time are involved in, like, more than just the the opening six-man stuff, too. More so than, like, AMW, who are, like, suddenly disappeared off the face of the earth on these shows. I feel like they decided AMW weren't quite ready yet. Well, there, there's a note in Jerry's book where he's like, I've got to talk to Vince Russo about stop lying to talent because we keep telling AMW we're going to book them and then we keep not booking them. Mm. So they wanted to book AMW, but they, for some reason, just kept not writing them into the television show. Were they paying them still? Uh, I'd imagine everyone was paper appearance here, so probably not, which is yeah. the reason uh, Jerry was like, we have to stop telling talent we're going to book them. When we're not going to book them. Do you know who was getting booked throughout this entire thing? Is it Ron the Truth Killings, Liam? 
It sure is. Ron the Truth Killings defeated Ken Shamrock to become the second NWA World Champion of the TNA era. The best NWA World Champion of the TNA era. I can't deny it. It's a true statement. (laughs) It's kind of nice, though, to see that, like, Killings is undeniably the highlight of the early shows, even if some of the racism stuff is just, like, you'll tug your collar every so often. But he is, like, hugely charismatic. He's a giant star. He is clearly the breakout star of the company. They recognize it, and they put the belt on him. That's so nice to see. Even if, like, there's times where, like... There's a lot of times, and it's not just with Ron Killing, so it's like, you can't tell what anyone is. If they're a heel or a face, or, like, they'll be a heel one week attacking people, being a face one week attacking people. And it's just very confusing. There was, like, for this whole month, I just thought that Brian Lawler turned face. <laughs> because he was beating up Jeff Jarrett the whole time. Yeah. And then, like, on the last month, he was, like, cutting a You People promo, and I just threw my hands in the air. I'm like, it... It's impossible. You know how um, Cody was always this guy's like, oh, there doesn't need to be heels and faces anymore. They just make everyone shades of grey. This is what the show looks like when everyone's shades of grey. And it's not easy to follow. There is not. Other than Ron Killings, I don't think there is a single likable pro wrestler on this television show. And Killings is a heel half the time too. And Killings is a heel. I think he more or less turns babyface during this month and sticks babyface. But up until this, he's been a heel the whole time, and he's been the most likable guy on the show. Shamrock, generic, boring, nobody could possibly really care about him. Jeff Jarrett's too busy hitting people with chairs, nobody likes him. But they do sometimes. (laughs) Scott Hall is probably the only guy who's like, yeah, I like Scott Hall, he's Scott Hall. Abject babyface, sure. But he's gone, so... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like the one guy. Loki is a heel, I think? Yeah, but he's a, he's a heel that gets cheered by everyone. Uh, Jerry Lynn veers based on the segment. AJ Styles veers based on the segment. It's it's such a bizarre show full of deeply unlikable people. It's actually impossible to tell who's meant to be a heel and who's meant to be a face. And again, to go back to Jerry's book, he mentions at the end of the month, it was the Styles and Lynn against Lawler and Jarrett match that kind of opened his eyes to it. Where he's like, I was sitting there watching this match and realized... Nobody liked any of these people. Half the crowd was cheering, half the crowd was booing. Nobody knew who was the heel, nobody who knew was the face. It's just, a, like, as you said, there's people who are like, face and heels is an outdated idea in pro wrestling. And I, I send those people to the first two months, three months of NWA TNA. Go watch it, and you will see what a pro wrestling show that doesn't have defined faces or heels looks like. And it's unwatchable. It's not good. Yeah. You kind of just have to pick your faves and side with with them through thick and thin. Like, I'm firmly on the Jerry Lynn train now. (laughs) Like, Jerry Lynn's my guy, so Jerry Lynn could, like, pile drive Mike Tanay next week. And I'd be like, well, I guess I gotta side with Jerry Lynn here. (laughs) Even within the Flying Elvises, who I believe are meant to be pitched as a babyface group. Or at least, like, Jorge and Jimmy, I think, are babyfaces. Well, for, like, three weeks they were. But they here they're against like actual baby faces, Red the Maximos. But Siaki is a heel. I don't know how am I supposed yeah. to feel about any of these things. Faces and heels put a railing on pro wrestling that is necessary for the enjoyment of pro wrestling. You can deviate and you can switch between the two, but if you just take those bumpers down, everything just gutter bowl because you don't understand anything that's happening. We're not new to wrestling. <laughs> we have watched pro wrestling shows for a long time. And for us to be confused by the motivations of the characters on the screen shouldn't be a thing that's happening, let alone to people who are like, oh, I might just give this TNA show a chance. Well, to be fair, if you watch one show, it might be okay. <laughs> yeah, well then, just never come back. <laughs> that's what the incentive here is. Just 
never return for a TNA show. Watch one and you'll be fine. To be fair though, even if you watch one, you might won't necessarily be because Ron Killings will be a face in one segment and a heel in another. Brian Waller will be face in one and then he'll be heel with another. Jeff Jarrett will be face facing one guy and then a heel with another. So like even even if you are just parachuting in for one show, you're going to be confused by at least one of the ten tweeners on this show. It's a very strange show to watch and invest in. I don't like any of these human beings. Yeah, except Ron. Who is world champion? So good job, Ron. But then Ron does some so does some less than uh, appropriate things too. But that was before August, so <laughs> so we can ride it off. We're only talking about August. But you know what? No one will ride off, Garrett. What's that, Liam? The Dub Cup. So the Dubs come out to jive talking with Disco Inferno, and they have a, a chalkboard. And <laughs> Ricky Steamboat mistakenly earlier in the show gave the Dubs carte blanche. To do whatever the hell they want. And the Dups took that opportunity to create the Dup Cup. A wonderful tournament with the most bizarre series of rules you will ever see, which I will read to you now. Rule number one. Put your opponent through a table, you'll get two and a half points. Worth stating, first to ten points wins the Dup Cup. The Dup Cup is basically a title belt, so whoever wins it holds the Dup Cup and defends the the Dup Cup. The second official TNA title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's the mid-card belt that everyone was waiting for. So rule number one, opponent through a table, two and a half points. Five points if it's a burning table. Good rule. (laughs) Rule number two, put your opponent's head in the toilet, two and a half points. If there's shit in the toilet, sorry, sheet in the toilet, (laughs) three and a half points. Goose a woman. (laughs) Goose a woman, indeed, two and a half points. Goose a man, three and a half points. That's an equality right there, Liam. They should be given three and a half points for hitting either or. Or anyone. Anyone who gets hit should be worth three and a half points, in my opinion. Regardless of gender. This is a commentary on how women are, are le- valued less in the workplace. It's the deep themes of NWATNA. When a man and a woman do do, do the same activity, women are, are, are paid less and valued less in the workplace. And that the, this is the kind of commentary and message that TNA is sending. It's actually a... You know, the Duff Cup is quite progressive when you think about mm. it. It's, it's, the degree to which it is regressive, Liam, is obviously to shine a spotlight on... Those, those those inequalities. Of course. That's that's the storytelling of NWATNA. <laughs> Rule number four, if you nail Jeremy the creepy announcer, you get two and a half points. <laughs> Which I was very confused by the verbiage of this and the next rule. <laughs> yes, rule number five is nail the old lady who takes the tickets. You also get two and a half points. Liam thought it was a different kind of nailing. Yeah, I, I did my head. I was very confused about it. I legitimately was like, what kind of segments are they going to film to put on this show? Just means hit them, Liam. Nothing else. Uh... But on the other hand, the rule number six, use a farm animal. Two and yeah, a half that's points. more open to interpretation. Uh, I believe Stand Up makes it very clear that the, 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 there can be some nailing in the farm animal section. And not punching them. Well, I suppose. <laughs> this is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what do you want from me here? <laughs> Rule number seven. Spank opponents bare ass with horsey poo. Two and a half points. However, minus well, two and a half points if they like it. And wouldn't you believe it? Rule number eight. He likes it. Oh. He likes it. That's what I'm saying. You left too long a pause. I was like, oh. I thought you... (laughs) (laughs) Ah, this is a good segment. What's number eight, Garrett? Introduce your opponent to Jay, two and a half points. And who is Jay, Garrett? They said they'd get to it. Mm -hmm. Cry like a pussy, minus five points. I'm now slipping into a stand-up impression. (laughs) 
Which, like, fair play to Trevor Murdoch, by the way. Like, he gives his heart and soul to these descriptions. He sure fucking does. He is fully embodying this dumbass dub character with every fibre of his being. I guess the thing is, like, the dubs are doing, like, you know, not the best gimmick in the world, but they are, like, putting their full effort into it, and both are good workers. Because, like, there's a moment during the horsey poo bit where he's like, spank your opponent's bare ass with horsey poo, and Disco starts talking for a second. And, like, like Trevor Murdoch starts riding horsey poo in a way that seems like a spontaneous, like, he just decided to ride horsey poo out of excitement for horsey poo spanking people. And it's, it's like, you've thought about this character. It's probably just out there having fun. To be fair. He's just having himself a good time riding horsey poo. Mm. I don't know how number 10, like, is worth 10 points. So you put your opponent, opponent's head in the cotton candy machine, you get 10 points. You That's win the match. not worth 10 points. Yeah, especially. Flaming Table is 5 points, but cotton candy machine is 10. That doesn't seem right. Of course, there was also an added rule that if you take a weapon from the fans... Oh, yes, the, the disco rule... Where he was like, mm. if you take a weapon from the fans, you should get, I think he suggested five points. But then stand-up was like, that, that scoring mechanism doesn't make sense. People can just hit people with weapons twice. They'll win. It's only one point. This is why Disco, mm. you don't make matches. That's true. One of the many reasons why Disco doesn't make matches. So that's the Dup Cup. We had the added stakes because the first Dup Cup match was the Dups against Ed Ferrara. And the Dups had to incentivize Ed Ferrara to do the match. Yeah, so what was on the line here? Yeah. So Fluff Dub, who hasn't been seen and wasn't seen on any of these shows, she's not getting pa- she's not getting paid to come into these shows. <laughs> and th- this is the last we'll see of the Dubs as well. So the Dub Cups is the end of the Dubs. <laughs> what? But yes, the winner of of the D- Dub Cup would get to have fun times with F- Fluff, but also the Dubs would be able to watch. Yep, Ed Ferrara, of course. Yeah, he was all over it. <laughs> yeah, he had to be a part of it. spearing people. So he can get as close to fluffed up as he possibly can. Turning on longtime best friend, Jeremy Borash. Yeah, their wholesome relationship we were talking about uh, two weeks ago on, on the July episode where they, they bonded over their sexual activities and their love of Jasmine St. Clair. Well, it's all out the window here because Ed Ferrara went straight for Jeremy for the two and a half points. That bastard. Now they're both in full sale, so how does that work out? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so this match, I think is actually very good. <laughs> Not like the traditional sense of pro wrestling. You've heard it from Garrett, everyone. Five stars for the Dub Cup first round match. Listen, if you check our star rating spreadsheet, you will perhaps see that I gave this match five stars. <laughs> you gave it four, so you leave me alone. I gave it a reasonable rating. I'm pretty sure it's your joint highest rated match in TNA history. <laughs> Yeah, and I stand by that. There's been two matches that have been four stars in DNA's history. Ed Ferrara versus the Dups, and AJ Styles, Jerry Lynn, Loki, Psychosis. The two best matches in the history of the TNA wrestling promotion. Mm-hmm. But five is ridiculous. No, it's 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 the pinnacle of our art form. Which is funny, because I gave uh, the, the following week's match minus five stars. So it's really the duality of man, is the Dup Cup. Yeah. Uh, so clearly what you're saying is that Ed Ferrara is what brought this up to five stars. That's true. Ed Ferrara is a superstar, five-star worker. He's had one match in the history of TNA, and it got five stars. That is a- an unbeatable record <laughs> from you. He's the best wrestler in TNA history, objectively. He does have the, the best success rate. 
Nobody else has an average star rating in TNA history of five stars. So what more could you possibly want in the world? Well, what about Cheeks? <laughs> hey, I gave that Cheeks match like a star. I could look at it, but I won't. Because <laughs> you have to look at it at patreon.com slash kidding me. Wow. But like, it's not good, but it's good, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I get what you mean. I mean, I went four stars. <laughs> I gave it an eight out of ten. You were very pleased with this Duff Cup match as well. I mean, it's it's. You know, I kind of thought that this was the hard ten. No, that's a different tournament. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, when's New Jack gonna compete in the Duff Cup? There was a story during this month that New Jack was reaching out trying to get into the company, but obviously we have to wait a little while longer. That's that's the tournament I'm ready for. New Jack against the Duffs. I meant the, the hard 10, but yes. Malice defeated Don Harris in the first blood match, which ended prematurely when they bonked heads and Don Harris started bleeding. I didn't understand where they they started bleeding from. Like, it just got up and he was bleeding. I was like, oh, <laughs> what happened? The match is just over because that wasn't meant to be the finish. We will have more to say about Don ha- Harris. Yeah, I was going to say, let's not blow out Don Harris load. We'll talk about that in NWA TNA preview number nine. Jarrett defeated Apollo in a boring match with a lame finish. Mm-hmm. German suplex where he had his shoulders down and Jarrett kicked out. And Jarrett kind of buried him because he got beaten doing his own move. And no one ever looks like a bigger dork than when they get beaten doing their own move. Yep. Bruce continues to be Miss TNA. Defeated Taylor Vaughn. Fantastic match. Actually, the match the next week is actually pretty good. So I like Bruce. To be fair to TNA... Where there was a lot of inconsistency with the June and July shows where stuff would happen and like people would disappear and then stuff wouldn't make sense. They have at least like settled into a consistent like roster and consistent kind of stories throughout all of these shows. Where it's like mm. you get the Jeff Jarrett, Brian Lawler stuff, which you'll be sick of by the end of it, but still it's there. I'm sick of it now. <laughs> Immediately, the second they started. It actually hasn't even started in this show and it's still sick of it. Like, you get the Loki, uh, AJ Styles, Jerry Lynn feud runs through these shows. You get Bruce's Miss TNA running through these shows. You get, like, the Flying Elvis uh, descent running through these shows. They've settled down. They're consistent. There is, like, stories they're trying to tell. There's the Monty and Skipper stuff as well. Yeah, but then they just kind of drop that, too. <laughs> well, they did the blow-off. I guess. So, like, there, there's, a, there's a consistency there. Sure. Sorry, I was deeply distracted looking at the, the Google Doc where you have replaced cash, the S in cash, with the money symbol. <laughs> yes, I, I'm respecting law. What's your problem? I was like, what, did I do that? Uh, I, I, I hope you know that I, I also did um, find and replace in this entire document as well, replacing it with cash with a dollar sign. Thank you. I respect that attention to detail. I, I was watching it and I was like, there's no way Garrett put the dollar sign in. I have to go change this now. <laughs> you have to go fix this? Yes. So in our main event, Loki defeated AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn to become the second ever X Division champion. It's, it's a very big surprise to me. <laughs> On the watch along, Liam was like, has Loki ever been X Division champion? It's like, yes. Yes, he has. <laughs> Many times. I don't want people to think it's a bit like, I really know nothing going into this. <laughs> How did you not know Loki was X-Division champion? I guess all the Loki stuff I watched, he just wasn't champion or competing for titles in. I guess. Uh, you know what? I should have known the most recent one because I was watching during that time. Yeah, the 2017 one. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's a different Loki. He won the belt. He's Hitman Loki. It's the best Loki. And lost the belt to Sanjay in India. Yeah, different Loki. Cool moment. Sanjay finally becoming X-Champion after all those years. I don't even know who Sanjay Dutt is, all right? Yeah, he hasn't been introduced yet. That's fair. Great match. Tremendous main event. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about the match. Yeah, the uh, Chad was in this match. 
Right. Liam spent this entire match paying attention to Chad, but the match is actually tremendous. Yeah, I, really, I don't know a lot to say about this match because I was too focused on Chad. And then you're out here giving it three and three quarter stars because that's just how it felt, I guess. Yeah, it's a feeling. They did moves and I, was, I like the moves. You are hooked on the feeling. Do, 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 do. It was a weird finish where um, Loki had Jerry Lynn pinned. AJ Styles broke up the pin, but they counted three anyway. So, sure. Which, like, does make sense, but also, like, it didn't work out that way because Key was, he separated, he separated connection from the body. So it makes no sense. Because, like, in theory, I do agree that, like, if, if someone tries to break up a pin and the person who is doing the pin doesn't move... That's not breaking up the pin. It's still a pin. But as you mm. mentioned, Loki did get off the pin and get back on, and they still counted three. So Yeah, it does work in theory, but it didn't work in practice. Sure didn't. Highlight of the show was obviously the, the, the Dup Cup. That was the pinnacle of TNA so far. I mean, it's up there. <laughs> Never mind these killer X Division matches between Lynn, Loki, and Styles. This is this is the, the peak of this company. You know what I say? All filler, no killer. You'll be pleased to know, right in the middle of this podcast, I have a vaccine appointment. Right now? No, 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 it was scheduled right now. <laughs> I was going to say, you just have to go and do it mid-podcast. It will be Monday. I'm getting vaccinated on Monday, so yay! Uh, everyone, big clap for Garrett. <laughs> Which is actually surprisingly efficient for this country that I, I literally applied right before we started recording, and we're here an hour into the show, and I have a vaccine appointment, so everything is going well in Ireland, obviously. Hey, Gary, you know what I'll be doing on Monday? What will you be doing on Monday, Liam? Locked in! Woo! <laughs> Lots of good times. Oh, we haven't done a, a, a classic uh, Liam and Garrett politics chat <laughs> comparison between countries. Yeah. I'm getting my vaccine, you're locked inside. What a contrast! Which is especially different from the entire Wednesday War Games era, where you were like, we're doing well in Australia, and we've been, like, crying. To be fair, if there's one thing we know how to do, it's lock it down. Mm. The, the problem is we don't know any follow-up. <laughs> well, we, we were locked down from December until, like, May, so... Oh, December to May, ooh. <laughs> you leave me alone. <laughs> Four months. That's five months. It's chump change. So is your face. Whoa. Owned. Owned them. I'm I'm going to break rule nine and cry like a pussy. So minus five points to me <laughs> in the Gup Cup. There are some notes from the show that apparently Ken Shamrock handled losing the belt pretty well. Jerry Jarrett said he was professional about it, which is all you can ask for. Malice and Truth were using different names outside of TNA, and Jerry was like, "You've got to use your TNA names," and they were like, "Fine." <laughs> Brian Lawler took a pay cut. Oh. Uh, Sean Waltman is on his way in. Those are your NWA TNA pay per view number eight. Backstage scoop notes. Backstage scoop notes. Yes. Which brings us to pay-per-view number 9, August 14, 2002. 900 in the building. It was apparently quite papered. The most interesting note from the Wrestling Observer. American Dragon is expected to be brought in soon. Sharkboy, who worked the opener on 814, was to work the first four-way with Loki uh, on 814, as, uh, as was Dragon. But they changed plans and went with Elvis's one week and SAT's the next week. So the, the match on this show that was Loki against all of the Flying Elvises in a four-way elimination match was meant to have Sharkboy and Brian Danielson in it. Were they meant to replace members of the Elvises or were they just going to have like a eight-man match? I think they were meant to replace, but wouldn't it be funny if it was Loki against the Flying Elvises against Sharkboy against professional wrestler Brian Danielson? <laughs> mm. Well, to be fair, is he professional wrestler Brian Danielson at this point or is he still kind of like... Early ROH, he was kind of like 
smiley baby face guy. He was still like serious professional wrestling, technical wrestling man. True. It's been a while since I watched those shows. In contrast to man in shark costume and men in Elvis costumes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, Key being that like hard-nosed wrestler guy got him over early on, so. Yeah, and he did cool stuff. Actually, yeah, that is a good point, actually. One of the few guys who is just like, I am a wrestler, man, who does cool wrestling moves is one of the most over guys on these shows. Hmm. And because, like, even though he's, like, a dick, people are like, at least we know he's a dick and he's not pretending to not be a dick, so we're going to cheer him because everyone else, it's too confusing. He has been presented consistently and he didn't utter a word of a promo until, I believe, pay number 10 is the first time he actually spoke. <laughs> and then the crowd was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> The silent man who kicks guys and does cartwheel kicks and 450s to the floor is the guy we're going to cheer. Yeah. And these annoying people who shout at each other and hit each other with chairs constantly, eh, less slow. Also, the Kawada kicks are over as hell. Mm. All of his kicks are over. Don West goes wild for his kicks as well. Don's like... Don West thinks he's actually, like, murdering these guys. <laughs> Which, to be fair, he probably is, so... A little bit, just a touch. Just a touch of murder. There was one kick on one of the Maximos in the SAT match where I was like, oh no. You leave the poor Maximos alone. They're they're just kids. They're just out here trying to have fun. So Jeff Jarrett comes out uh, at the start of the show. Well, Truth comes out and he officially names the asylum, by the way. He's like, we're here in the Nashville Fairgrounds, which have henceforth be known as the TNA Asylum. So it was the birth of the asylum here on NWA TNA pay number nine. I'm going to call it the TNA Asylum. Ah, very good. Should that be the episode title? No, I'll think of something better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but if there, if that is if that is the title, you know, I didn't think of something better. So, Killings is champ. He's very happy to be champ until Jeff Jarrett comes out and Jeff cuts his promo about how this is reverse discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> and Truth <laughs> is only getting these opportunities because he's black and Jarrett hates this and it's not fair to Jeff. This <laughs> <laughs> Uh... <laughs> in theory whenever somebody says something to me about like can wrestling tell serious stories part of my brain is like yeah why not why can't wrestling tell stories about racism and then you watch stuff like this and you're like this is why wrestling can't tell stories about racism do you think it's because they're out there talking in their wrestler promo voice while they're doing it like it's not like acting where you can set tone and you can set nuance to it. It's like Jeff Jarrett's out there going, "Yeah, race, you know, <laughs> you're getting these opportunities because of this." And it's like, okay, you're just being a shouty promo wrestler, man. You're kind of losing a bit of the impact of what these statements actually mean. Because yeah, wrestling does not do nuance ever. And like in theory, like Jeff Jarrett is a heel, so him saying that there is ver- mm-hmm. reverse racism should be a thing we should dislike and we should boo. So, like, <laughs> is it the worst thing in the world? But then you watch it and it's just like, especially the way it panders to the audience and there are certain people that in the audience that cheer these kind of things. And it's like, no, just don't do it. Don't Wrestling should never touch anything serious. It's just not equipped for it. Uh, the medium probably is, but the people telling it is going to be a different thing, isn't it? Yeah, there's no company in the history of wrestling that I have faith in. Even the best companies to tell any kind of nuanced story other than I'm good, you're bad, let's fight. Which is murky waters when implementing race into that. Yeah. In any regard. <laughs> Speaking... Oh, no, we have the six men and the... We have, like, three things, but I was like, what a segue into race relations on this show, huh? No, we have a couple of matches first. We have the SATs and Amazing Red defeated Kid Cash, Sharkboy, and Slim J all making their TNA debuts. I love this match. This match rocks. I don't remember a lot about it. They did lots of flips and cool moves, and it was a ton of fun. Yeah. 
Slim J. Yeah, Slim J. Remember the Slim J resurgence? Yeah, Southern wrestling legend, Slim J. One of those uh, Southern indie guys that people called the best in the world for a while. I'm glad we've kind of, like, no disrespect to Slim J. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm very glad we're out of the whole, like, Southern pro wrestling squad thing now. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, like, I like something like all the Southern wrestling that I've seen that's coming out of it, but it's like, it was just a real unbearable snideness to it all, wasn't there? Because it was like, the Southern Indie Graps and Brit Raz hated each other. Which is funny, because they were like the two most unbearable <laughs> fandoms. So they would constantly have to say that, like, this thing is the best thing ever to get back at the Brit Raz people, because Brit Raz was actually hot, to be fair, unlike Southern Indie Graps, which, no offense, weren't. <laughs> Which, to be fair, the Southern Indie Graphs are probably hotter now than the Brit Rest scenes. So. <laughs> Which is true, it's come around full circle. Like, wasn't there a big thing with the Carnies? Uh, yeah, there was like a big wasn't UK it? against uh, <laughs> Southern Indie fans fight over the Carnies. <laughs> the eras of wrestling Twitter. I was going to say, there needs to be a podcast series that recaps wrestling Twitter. It just goes back through the history of the Tanahashi was bad era, the all hail era. The, uh... Yeah, yeah. The worst eras of wrestling Twitter, which we've all thankfully mostly moved on from. It's just dumb WWE. Fired up. Oh god, we just have dumb WWE fans now who are desperately clinging to the last vestiges of WWE success. I think the, there is some sort of something to be said about like standing being the last frontier of truly annoying <laughs> wrestling Twitter stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if the stands went away, we'd all have a perfectly good time now. Until like some other thing <laughs> becomes an annoyance to one of us. It is. I think it's it's just like there's destiny that somebody has to fill that role. <laughs> somebody has to step mm. up and fill the role of being annoying. And next it'll be us. Don't worry about it. With our NWTNA's actually good takes. Not yet. But this SATs against Cash, Sharkboy, and Slim J match. That was a good match. So there you go. Shout out Kid Cash. So Goldilocks was backstage with the Duffs. She was like, hey guys, how are you doing? They're like, welcome to MTV Cribs. This is our outhouse. This is where we take a dump. Shitter! Mm-hmm. That's the segment. <laughs> Unfortunately, not like uh, as interesting, prov- provocative, or downright offensive as the other Duffs Goldie segments. <laughs> yeah, just the normal Duff segment. It's ugh. ugh. More like the uchs. Bruce comes to the ring and he calls out a fan in the crowd. He's willing to pay five grand to anybody who will take it and take his title. Tina Hamilton comes in, who is obviously a wrestler in a plant. Also, who rules? Yes, she just comes in, spears him, does big power slams. Crowd goes apeshit because this crowd in the asylum was not the most responsive crowd in the world. But they went absolutely mm. bonkers for her. I thought Tina was winning. She should have. Tina should have been the first, like, superstar of TNA. Tina Hamilton, like, fair play, like, got over, had a great match. Good times. Never seen again, I don't think, but good effort. Oh. I know what Tina Hamilton did. Outside of TNA. I wonder if she have a cage match. What's Tina Hamilton up Let's to? Let's find out. That's our third interview after Chad. We'd like to talk to Bob Carter, Tina Hamilton, and Chad. <laughs> Jay Houseman. When I... Well, yes. By all accounts, the only page I'm getting is the Kiwi page, which lists the Tina Hamilton match. So I don't think she ever did anything. This was the peak Damn, of her career. She was good. Tina Hamilton should have gone to Japan. <laughs> Go to stardom, Tina. But yeah, this... Because I've hated all of these Bruce segments. I think they've all been very bad. What? But this one was good. I've loved all the Bruce segments. He looks sensational, I must admit. The man rocks a dress. But... Truly. The matches are terrible. What? Oh, he didn't mention Bill Barron. He bust... Sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll drop the Bruce bit <laughs> if you want to keep going. You can keep going if you want. I just wanted to say, like, I, Bruce... Whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> Sorry, our, our sheet that had the things just got crazy and scared me. 
<laughs> that was you, buddy. I don't think it was. I believe it was the uh, anonymous Amarillo, as it says in the dock, <laughs> has been moving these things around. <laughs> nah. I like the way half of our podcasts are now just becoming dock-related. Yeah, that's why I was going to cut it off so we could start from a, a fresh cut. <laughs> nah, we're leaving it all in. For once, you always tell me to leave these things in, and I never do. <laughs> and when you don't want yeah, me to, I leave Yeah, but now I'm embarrassed, so not me... Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that in every one of these matches, Bruce will at least bust out one big spot that you can appreciate. Yeah, fair play. Talented guy, Bruce, I gotta say. He's a good wrestler. Angle's just no good. But yeah, we have Bill Barons earlier on the show who made his return as the big authority figure. Oh, f- I hate this dude. Wearing a big cowboy hat, pretending to be a serious, important guy. <laughs> he sucks. Because he's the worst. Because they stopped booking Steamboat because Steamboat was too expensive. They would eventually mm. settle on Bob Armstrong, who drives seven hours to these shows, by the way. Jesus, Bob, why? That's a commitment to the business, I guess, even in the 60s. But, and to be fair, they did hire literally all of his sons at one stage or another. Well, there you go. Yeah, we still did have Bill Barons on the show with his dumbass cowboy hat until Jeff Jarrett beat him up again. Good. The first good thing Jeff Jarrett's done on this show. It makes Jarrett a baby face, I guess, yeah. Yeah, after he said all of those racially insensitive things. Again, the duality of man. Beating up people who awesome. you don't like but also a racist. I was so segueing. Speaking of race. Oh, yes. We had a last man standing match between Don Actually. Harris and Malice. <laughs> no, this is pretty cut and dry, this one, to be fair. Yeah, you know, just in case. <laughs> Don Harris comes to the ring wearing a t-shirt. What was the shirt? <laughs> just wearing a shirt. It's a perfectly normal t-shirt. Everything's fine. It just has a Nazi SS symbol on it. Uh, just a couple couple cheeky little lightning bolts. Yeah, it's 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 just some Fs. It's a couple of Fs. They're not Ss. <laughs> some Fs in the chat for Don Harris. There should be. Oh, boy. Uh, they had a match. It was a last man standing match. Harris won. Then Malice showed respect to Don Harris after the match. <laughs> which, the worst time to do this. I was so upset that Malice showed respect to the man with the Nazi shirt. <laughs> I feel like the new church would be very anti-Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just for the sake of our narratives, if nothing else. Yeah. For the sake of our uh, our heroes not betraying us. James Mitchell was apparently furious that Ballas had done this, but also then James Mitchell wasn't booked for the next show because cost cuts. So this didn't go anywhere for a while. <laughs> Which is the story of a lot of these things. It's like money is being cut left, right, and center because they have done. So we're seeing people come in for one last match and one last angle and for the time being. They did release a statement on the website immediately after the show because this was a controversy even in 2002. They were like, you can't have Nazi symbols on pay-per-view. What the hell are you How doing? anyone let him go out like this? Well, they said they never saw it, which I, I'd give them some like plausible deniability that like, do you inspect every wrestler's t-shirt before they go to the ring? Probably not. Probably should. <laughs> well, these, after this, you probably should. Yeah. <laughs> So their, their statement, on the August 14 episode of NWA TNA Total Nonstop Action, one of our performers wore a t-shirt to the ring that had a, an offensive symbol that prompted many of our fans to email us. We are, were not aware of the incident until we received a response from our fans, and we agree with those who say the shirt was offensive. We do not in any way condone such things and have taken steps to make sure something like that doesn't happen again. We apologize to those who were rightfully offended. That being said, we would not fire <laughs> Yeah, Don Harris does come back. Even Ron debuts the following week. So what can you do, I suppose? Mm, What can you do indeed? In an interesting fact, if you try to watch this match on Impact Plus, it's not there. For very obvious reasons. In the final Dup Cup match, Tio defeated Bo Dup to become the reigning and I assume like long-standing lifetime Dup Cup champion. Oh yeah, Tio. 
Tio was our man. I don't have a lot to say about the match, but I do want to go back to the first segment where we, we didn't mention the, the fun note, but I think it's a fun note to mention, that uh, a production meeting source reports that Jerry Jarrett came up with the concept from the dub, for the dub cup, <laughs> and after hearing the idea, Vince Russo joked, you know everyone's going to blame me for this. Oh yes. Oh, poor Vince Russo. He's getting much maligned for all the worst ideas in TNA history. I feel like... We need to separate this idea that being self-aware makes it okay for you to do stupid shit. Yeah. Like, if you're self-aware, you should be able to stop yourself (laughs) or, like, readjust or change up something. Don't just go, ah, well, I know I'm an idiot or, well, I know that I'm stupid or, well, that I know that I book terrible angles. I understand my worst impulses, but then give in to them. (laughs) Just the idea of, oh, that's something that's kind of stupid. Everyone's going to think it's my idea. Like, then maybe change your ideas, man. Oh, I forgot to mention the best thing that happened on the show, which was in the opening segment, <laughs> when Brian Lawler is going on a rampage <laughs> fighting with Jeff Jarrett. He wants to grab a chair from a fan at ringside, and she is not yes. giving up this chair. She's been a highlight of these shows. I've I've seen her in the crowd before. Cause oh yeah, when Bruce is like calling out fans, he's like, "You want some? You want some? Huh?" Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there is like a a fifteen second exchange where Brian Lawler tries to grab the chair out of her hand, and she just does not let go. Iron grip refusing to release the steel chair and Brian Lawler is furious apparently after the show Brian Lawler was very upset that the fan wouldn't let go of the chair and people were actually worried he'd attack the fan to be fair though not upset enough to not reference it in a later match yeah so fair play to Brian for seemingly coming down and willing yeah all right we can do this again because it's a good bit and yeah it's good heat he's a heel he's a goof he's not meant to be cool so the fan not to like to not give him the chair actually adds to his character if you think about it mm. so Tio Dup Cup champion the second Dup Cup match was terrible it was just the same jokes again but worse because yeah it's the kind of thing that's fine when you do once but then yeah like what are you gonna do you're gonna keep nailing Jerry Borash well someone has to. And uh, there's actually a fun note that Mike Tanae does not call these matches just to protect his credibility. <laughs> really? That's really fun. I thought, I assume they just wanted someone on the le- on, over the speakers that the fans could follow the points along. Yeah, it's partially that and partially Tanae just being like, I'm not touching this stuff. Well, fair play to Tanae for knowing where to keep his uh, his brand away from. Uh, Monty Brown defeated Ia Skipper in a Detroit street fight right here in the middle of Nashville. Yep. I'm not sure what makes it a Detroit street fight other than, I guess, Monty is from Detroit. No, Monty's from the Serengeti. I'm sorry. So, no idea why. Whoa. Wait a minute. No idea why this is a Detroit street fight. It should be a Serengeti street fight, which is a thing TNA actually do in the future. So. Fuck yeah. I don't like Monty Brown's, like, hand thing because I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know the thing where, like, he he does, like, the... The devil horns, but then he like crosses them into an A. Yeah, I can't do that, and I don't like it. The alpha male, you're upset that you can't do Monty's taunt. Yeah, I guess I'm not an alpha. You're not an alpha. It's proof. They call me the Sigma male. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that's the title. The Sigma male. The Sigma male. It will be something I have to Google as, like, is this a thing that's not a racist cult? Because it seems like a thing that could it's, be a racist cult. It's, uh, well, I don't know about a racist cult, <laughs> specifically. Have you seen the memes? I've been really deep into the Sigma male memes lately. I haven't. Just just because there's, like, a thousand YouTube channels about, like, how you're actually super alpha if you want to, like, be super, like, stay away from... A friendless nerd <sighs> is what you're going for here. Yeah, friendless nerd, and then... But friendless, sexless nerd, but you're actually a big, cool guy because you choose to do it on purpose. Yeah, because everybody does that. And there's all these, like, great YouTube videos with, like... And the, the image for the videos is just, like, Sigma male, the rarest male, 0.1%, and then it just has, like, 
Liam Hemsworth or Chris Hemsworth next to it. My favourite one is that, like, apparently the most Sigma man in the world is the character of John Wick. Not even Keanu Reeves. <laughs> John Wick is the ultimate Sigma male. That is the man they're aspiring to be. Like, see, I, the, the problem is, right, I don't get it, because uh, Chris Hemsworth is associated a lot with the Sigma male values, but uh, his picture is also often used as the, uh, the example of an alpha male. So I think there's a bit of dissension in the Sigma community on whether or not to include one Chris Hemsworth. Why have the Sigma males adopted Chris Hemsworth as their own? I assume because he's a handsome man. But there are a lot of handsome men. Why him? Sigma male, irresistible to women. Picture of Chris Hemsworth. That's true. Well, all power to our Sigma male friends. If we have any Sigma male listeners, hello. Shout out, shout out to the Sigma male friend. I'm chucking up the Monty hand symbol. Shout out to the Sigma males. How long before we have a Sigma male wrestling gimmick? Oh, me. <laughs> Pinterest isn't letting me pull up the 12 traits of a Sigma male. Pinterest is sabotaging your podcast. Oh, here we go. Would you like to see... Would you like to classify... Let's see if you're a Sigma male, Garrett. No, what we're going to do is we're going to try to work out who on the TNA show is a Sigma male. Okay. Which wrestler do these values best apply to? Okay, here are the 12 traits of a Sigma male. I have someone in mind immediately, but... Uh, is it Brian Lawler? Number one. No, oh. he loves being alone, but he values other people. Oh, okay. Number two, he is a silent leader. Mm. Three, he knows how to adapt to different situations. Are we talking about Bob Armstrong here? No, no, no. Four, he treats everyone around him the same way. Five, he doesn't need a social circle to be himself. Mm. Six, he understands the importance of silence. We're going back to you don't need a social circle to be yourself. Who are you being yourself to? I, I assume it means like you don't need to have friends. You can you, like in the in a working environment, you can be yourself. You're not putting on a performance to people. But if you're not friends with anybody, you will never. That's just logical. Seven. I, I feel like you've you've cut me off from the big one, which is he is morally grey or worse. You what? No, but the no is aren't like the first like three. He's a nice guy who treats people well, and now he's morally gray or worse. He loves being alone, but he values other people. He is morally gray or worse. <laughs> Eight. He hates living life safely. Nine. His social skills could use some work. Eleven. He's incredibly self-aware. Sorry, ten. He's incredibly self-aware. Eleven. He's the master of his own fate. And twelve. He could be an alpha if he wanted. I pose to you. That Jeff Jarrett is the Sigma male. I love that he could be an alpha if he wanted. That's the entire undertone of the Sigma thing, is that, no, we are alphas, but we just choose to be sexless, friendless nerds. Mm. Like, that's the whole point of what being a Sigma male is. It's like, no, no, I'm actually very cool and tough. Yeah. So yeah, I guess Jeff Jarrett does fit most of those descriptions. <laughs> morally grey. He does exist in a morally grey space, especially regarding he racism. He does adapt to different situations. He does hit people with chairs. He loves being alone, but values other people. Does he value other people, though? Who does he value on these Master shows? of his own fate. He does own the company. His social skills could use some work. He does communicate predominantly through chairs. And he doesn't need a social, <laughs> social circle to be himself. He does not get along with any of his tag team partners. Mm. So, yeah, See? I guess it does fit. The ultimate Sigma male. Um, Loki defeated all three Elvises to get this show back on track for a second. All three Elvi. <laughs> Sorry, yes, Elvi. The plural of Elvis is Elvi. The TNA was wrong. Loki retained the exhibition title. Yeah, this was. It was kind of fun. They just kicked each other and did flips. Jorge Estrada's the coolest. Yeah, they did the same match next week with the SATs in red, which I thought was a better match. But yeah, this was fine. Yeah, it was fine on this show too, which was a bit of a, a drag. Yeah, there's a lot of matches in the show that just. Like, Monty against Skipper, in theory, is fine. Loki against the Elvises are, in theory, fine. Even the main events does, and then against Jarrett and Killings is, in theory, fine. But none of those matches were particularly good. I will attest you on one of them. Oh, which one? What was good? The one we haven't gotten to yet. Ooh. Oh, the main event? Yes. So, uh, we will do the disco segment first, which I assume you watched in great detail. I actually did watch this one, because I left the room and then came back halfway through and... 
Dean Baldwin was talking, so I gave I gave him the floor. Yeah, Dean Baldwin, famous member of the Baldwin family. It's a good bit doing a fake Baldwin. <laughs> it's a fine bit, isn't it? Yeah, it's all, it's all right. Also, it's less of disco talking, so. Also, do you know who Dean Baldwin was? Also, disco is definitely a Sigma male. Is this a real person? It is a real person. Can you work out? It's a person who wrestled on this show. Can you tell me who it was? It's actually quite obvious then, if you think about it. Is it Shark Boy? It is Shark Boy. Dean Baldwin was Shark Boy. That's the reason I like Dean Baldwin then, clearly, because I was like, this guy, I like, I like the cut of his jib. You gravitated toward, toward Shark Boy's charisma. And then our main event, which apparently you loved, so talk about it. Also, wow, unmasking guys, what are we doing? I know. And the main event, which I did apparently love, I apparently loved it. You gave it three and a half stars. Tell me about it. Yeah, I thought this was really fun. This match was boring. <laughs> I had a really good time watching this. This is what reminded me of um, those earlier shows where it's like, I wasn't necessarily like in love with the match but i thought it was pretty fun and i i liked the styles interactions with Jarrett. i thought that was really cool i liked the killings in it i liked lynn in it i think lynn's been really good on all these early shows i yeah i i really just thought this was a pretty good main event tag with a a wonky finish but hey set up something at least styles and Jarrett did always have like bizarrely good chemistry yeah, I really liked the styles Jarrett um, interactions. They were the bits that uh, stood out the most to me. As two guys who you would look at on paper and think they have no chemistry whatsoever. Like Jarrett mm. and Styles, that shouldn't work. And yet somehow it does. I also thought Lynn and Styles were a really compelling team here with their like bits of interruption, the working like to this like uh, taking swings at each other but ending up hitting the other team, working together a lot more than the the other side. Yeah, I um I like the Styles Lynn pairing. I like uh, the Styles Jarrett pairing. I thought it was quite boring. So, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, fair enough. I'm not going to fight you on that one. <laughs> Clearly you were going to, because you did, brought it up before we even mentioned it. You were saying that there was disappointing matches, and I just had to alleviate some concern. So, the, the finish ended double finish, double pinfall, so the titles were held up and vacated, uh, and then they made a bunch of matches for the following week between Stars and Lynn. So, um, as we jump into NWA TNA pay-per-view 10 from August 21st, 20. 20 is what I was going to say. I wanted to mention a couple things. A, this um, first show was pretty barren, fan-wise. There was a lot of empty seats on this show, but I think they filled up a little bit better for the 11th. And I also wanted to mention that... The 10th and 11th were taped on the same night. Yeah, but I assume more people showed up or something, because it looked a little fuller in the 11th than it did in the 10th. Mm. Maybe they jumbled people around between tapings. Like they they realized what places to shoot from where people look better on on the seats or something. Realistically, what probably happened is a bunch of people probably left... And they moved a bunch of people around to the hard camera side. Yeah, well, it ended up looking better in the the second show, I thought. And um, that the 10th show was, in fact, the best TNA, NWA TNA pay-per-view so far, with the best consistent wrestling on the show. And it, it's actually very interesting that you mentioned that, because before the show, they made a very conscious decision to pull back on the comedy, pull back on the bits, pull back on all those dopey characters and the hardcore stuff, and focus just on wrestling. And because you see that, because a good like 30 minutes, 40 minutes of the show was just AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn having matches. So you can't go too far wrong. Seriously, I, I, I re- this is a show that I had a lot of fun watching because it had the best wrestling. <laughs> you do have a contentious issue with the star ratings where you have not, you've chosen not to rate the the uh, the ten minute Iron Man match, even though it's a separate match. Okay, well, uh, do you want to get into it now then? Yes, I will, because the 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 crux of the show is AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn have a a a three stages of hell style situation. No, they don't. They have two matches. They have the match at the start of the show. No, and then they have a match at the end of the show that had different stipulations to it. No, it's, it's very clearly three matches. If 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 Jerry Lynn defeated AJ Styles in the no disqualification match, the Iron Man match wouldn't have happened. Yeah, because it was another match. Yeah. Because it was the be- it was the three stages of hell. Wait, no, I'm, I'm going back on my own points. Shit. Yeah. 
Stop digging your heels in. It's a third match. Give it a rating. It's not a third match. No, I gave, I'm giving it a blank rating because if I gave that two separate ratings, they would be lower than the 3.5 I gave to them as a total. Well, why? Because I liked it better when the, because the, the Iron Man played directly off the match in front of it and continued the story from it. So I liked it and it felt like a bigger, longer, more important match. It's still a separate match. I'm not rating it anymore. It's a 3.5 for the total. I will, however, rate the opening of the match because that had an hour and a half break in between it. But that's, that's not the distinction here. Like, like there is two matches on this show that are, are, are three fall matches. Garrett, if those three matches happened directly after one another would you have rated them as one? It would depend how it's framed. You were the one yelling at me because I was letting corporations dictate what is canon within things, alright? <laughs> but here you are, fighting me because TNA said one thing when it's clearly another thing. No, there are two distinctions here. On this very show, there is a Jimmy Yang mm. versus Sonny Siaki match, which is a two out of three falls match. That is a single wrestling contest with two out of three falls. As opposed yes. to the Jerry Lynn, AJ Styles, which is a series of matches in which the, the winner of two wins the series. There was a Falls Count Anywhere match, which Jerry Lynn won. And then there was another match. There was a no disqualification match, which AJ Styles won. And there was a 10 minute Iron Man match, which ended in a draw. I'm not going to change my rating for this. To me, those last two matches, quotation marks... They, they they continued a story, and the match, the second part of it was dependent on the first part of it. So I'm keeping it as one match to me because that made more sense, and I liked it better when framed in that manner. Classic denial of facts. You hate to see it, folks. Facts don't care about feelings, Garrett. So that was the crux of the show. Honestly, I thought the matches kind of, not quite underwhelmed, but they were just good as opposed to... Like, when you expect Stars and then wrestling for 45 minutes of a show, basically, you expect it to be a little better. But also, most of the wrestling is bad. So even if it's just good, it's better than most of the wrestling on these shows. That's true. And, like, because they taped these shows back-to-back, AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn did a Falls Count Anywhere match, a no-DQ match, a 10-minute Ironman match, and a triple ladder match, all on the same night. <laughs> so... <laughs> Those boys earned their payday that night. That was all to set up, basically. It was meant to be a number one contender series. It ended in a draw, which meant it set up a triple ladder match the next week. Good matches, not great matches. I, said. I did like the Iron Man match. And as you mentioned, the way it was framed, they did a like balls out, no DQ match, tore the house down, beat the hell out of each other. AJ Styles uh, hit a, a middle rope Styles clash onto a chair, I believe where he won the no DQ match with that and then immediately scored two straight falls in the Iron Man match because of it. And I thought that was a really cool little storytelling touch. I loved that little opening to the second part of the match. <laughs> also, Jerry Lynn went dick first on that fucking uh, Styles Clash. Which is the reason he was down for so long. Yeah, I imagine. But it ended in a draw. I liked how Loki came out with a ladder before it even ended in a draw, but I suppose he would have challenged the winner regardless to a ladder match. Yeah, it's a triple ladder match because there's three ladders, not because there was three people. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> The true logic of TNA. But as we mentioned, this show was like very scaled back, very much just a straightforward wrestling show. Both these shows were that, basically. You could feel it watching the shows. It's just like a wrestling match followed by another wrestling match. There's no Nazis. There's no racism. There's no dubs. Well, there isn't. There is Nazis. Well, yeah, but there's no overt Nazis, I guess. That's that's the power we've set here with TNA. America's Most Wanted defeated Brian Lee and Ron Harris after Brian Lee attacked a fan, which distracted Ron and allowed AMW to win, but then AMW got beaten up after the match. I definitely thought this was Don Harris the entire time in the singlet because they yelled at him for the show. They clearly is like, oh, Don's too, or Don's too hot. We got to take him off TV for a few weeks. Let's replace him with Ron. What if it is just Don? 
Just pretending it's run tied <laughs> they There has never been two Harris brothers. It's just one and mirrors. So it's been Scooby Doo uh, lighting tricks the whole time. <laughs> Listen, if that was actually the case, I would be very impressed with pro wrestling. <laughs> It'd be weird, like a weird choice of person to do it with, but sure. Siaki defeated Yang in a two or three falls match was quite boring for what it was. I thought it was alright. Yang did some shit. Yang always does some shit, which is quite fun at least. He posed with a Yang time sign in the crowd, which means he's obviously over. Which is better than completely missing his Yang time at the next show. But... Ah, well. <laughs> Poor guy. But um, we also, I think we found out uh, that he would be heading back to old Japan. Which is actually why the dubs disappeared. Uh, I think one of them had Japan bookings and then they just never booked them again. See, I assumed that was the case with Trevor because Trevor was like, specifically he was like, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. So, I was like, I legit was, while I was watching, I think, oh, I was like, he's probably going to do an old Japan tour. Which, by the way, Puppet comes out, uh, came out, and helped uh, yeah. Tio. Puppet helped Tio. What's going on? Yeah, that was a babyface turn for Puppet right there. He's abandoning all of his morals. He realized with his interaction with Jeff Jarrett that uh, tall people are, in fact, way worse. So, so Puppet has united with Tio to take out all the talls. The talls are the enemy. Talls are slur. <laughs> Listen, as a short person, I guess it is. Are <laughs> you stealing short people valor? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're like 5'8". That's stolen tall people. Listen, down. I am 5'6", I'll have you know, Mr. Tall Boy over here. So Brian Lawler has has been on a rampage on these shows. He hates Jeff Jarrett now. Furious at the man. Yeah, apparently. He is wanting to kill Jeff Jarrett anytime he sees him. He jumps Jeff Jarrett at every opportunity. He is ranting and raving at the top of his lungs about how Jeff Jarrett screwed him in some way that we are not finding out what it is. And that's the big tension. He's uh, he's uh, multiple times throughout these shows. He's about to reveal what his big beef with Jeff Jarrett is before he's interrupted. And I'm like, I don't care enough for you to do this mystery story. Did you just say Jeff Jarrett? I, maybe I did. I met Jeff Jarrett once at a Bound for Glory meet and greet. And he was like, what's your name? It's like Garrett. It's how do you spell it? It's like, it's Jarrett with a G. Oh, why didn't you go G-A-R-R-E-T-T? <laughs> it was a missed opportunity. I should have done some cackling. He would have, de- like, that would have popped Jeff Jarrett for sure. It would have. Anyway, this, yeah, this whole angle sucks. Who cares? So yeah, Lawler comes out. He's about to reveal all when Slash jumps him and they have their scheduled match and Lawler wins. And it's just, sure, it's a thing that's happening on these shows that I have no, I have no interest in Lawler on these shows. And he's like, he's not even that bad. He's like a perfectly average wrestler and he's getting heat and his promos aren't the worst. I just don't care about him. I was going to say, I actually enjoyed him when he was just shooting on Jerry the entire time. Mm. Now it's like, I just don't care what he's saying. Uh, the Maximals and Amazing Red uh, faced Loki in the same four way they did with the Elvis' match, but it was much more fun. Loki just threw these guys around, did cool kicks. The Maximals had their Maximal Chaos. It was a lot of fun. I like this. Loki took his SATs. Ah, yeah, I wonder what his grade was. One and oh, baby. I, I have no idea how you grade SATs, so I would have expanded on Shit. that joke, but um, sure. 100% success. I know they do multiple choice tests, so he got the options right. I don't know. <laughs> you got an A. You got an A+. Plus. And there's like grade point averages. What? Somebody who is American fill in this joke somewhere. <laughs> It is just, we'll splice it in. So yes, we had the, the Lin matches that we have discussed that are obviously three matches. Jared battled the bullet. The, the big show running angle was... It was skipping over Killings. Oh yes, the match was so boring and forgettable, I forgot about it. Ron Killings defeated Monty Brown to retain the NWA World Heavyweight title. I actually thought Monty had some cool moves in this match, but that's about it. Monty did the Alpha Lucian, which is... I, maybe it was in this match or the skipper match. I can't remember which he did it in. But it was a, a weird move that looks kind of dumb, but I was into it. Mm. It was like an F5 where he planted him in front of him or something. Yeah, go for it, Monty. It's the thing that um, Yoshino does. Oh, yes. 
He also did a belly to belly to killings on the floor where it looked like killings like full on like head bumped. I like the the Monty power spots, but that was really all that was in this match of substance. It is like very clear watching these shows like Monty is not ready. But you can also tell why they were like hitching their wagon to him a little bit with the like this guy could be really good. Yeah, because just look at him. Look at him. Yeah. <laughs> the physical specimen that he is in. Does he lose some muscle mass when he rakes his return? Because I never remember him being this huge. No, he's always this big. Really? Yes. I thought he slimmed down a little, but maybe I'm The man is chiseled out of stone. And speaking of Yoshino, by the way, he did have the straps down the whole time, so... Secret influence of Monty Brown? Yeah, perhaps? it's weird to see Monty wearing, like, singlets. Obviously, he doesn't have it up, mm. but he still has a singlet. He's like, singlets, I'm a singlet guy. Speed star. There's lightning in the Serengeti. Because yeah, you, you look at Monty and you obviously look at him physically and he had the Super Bowl stuff, which, you know, crossover star, that's what wrestling is always looking for. But he, he doesn't have the same charisma. He's obviously not as complete. And he, like Monty was never the best wrestler in the world, but even here, he's still too raw to be like on television. So you can see why they, they kind of went with him at first, tried him out, realized, you know, not yet come back in two years. Which again, fair enough. Especially when you don't have all the money in the world to be spending. I wonder if Monty expensive during this year. <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. He, he used to be a well, a modestly successful. I was going to say he probably has that football uh, surcharge. Jeff Jarrett defeated or well battled the Bullet. I don't think it was an actual match. Garrett. Yes. It was the Bullet Club versus the Bullet. Wow. Jeff Jarrett is a member of the Bullet Club. This was the Bullet Club before mm-hmm. the Bullet Club started. Dead, dead. The Bullet Bob. Foot 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 life. So yeah, Jarrett was brawling with the Bullet. The whole idea was everyone's like it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> what. <laughs> Bullet Bob detected. <laughs> that was not worth the interruption. <laughs> it was to me, damn it. Jarrett was rolling with the bullet. The whole idea was meant to be Bob Armstrong reliving his bullet gimmick, but uh, Bob walked out in the ramp and everyone was like, that's not Bullet Bob Armstrong, that's someone else. No, I, I think two people said that. <laughs> I don't think anyone else in this fucking asylum gave a shit. I, I think everyone was very into these bullet stories. I think you're wrong. <laughs> Steve Armstrong was actually the person who played the uh, the bullet role. Yeah, I just I assumed it was one of his kids. <laughs> the ideas were meant to think it's Road Dog, but Road Dog was still on house arrest, so he couldn't be there for another two weeks. So they did this bullet stuff to kind of tease the debut of Road Dog without actually having Road Dog there. Oh, I really don't want to do Road Dog <laughs> stuff. Really <laughs> in the big road dog Jared feud in the 90s. Mm. That's what you can look forward to in September. The roadie. The roadie. I hope they mention that. Then what else would Jeff Jarrett and Road Dog feud about? <laughs> they feud about Road Dog stealing his music? Well, other way around. Which brings us to our last pay-per-view recovery again, WATNA pay-per-view number 11, August 2002, August 28, 2002, which was taped the same night as NWATNA pay-per-view number 10. So... The crowd was understandably a little tired through the show for this marathon taping. But they got up when they needed to. It's most notable for the ladder match at the end where they were kind of like tired and impatient and like get to the ladders. But when they did get to the ladders, they started like super getting into it. Yeah. But to be fair, I was also like kind of, let's get to the ladders, guys. What are we doing? This is storytelling, Liam. Also, to be fair, this was my second end of routine pay-per-view in a row as well. So... That's what you get for not pacing yourself. You gave me a week to watch four. I gave you two weeks to watch four. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> this show was every two weeks. I had to watch the 2010 stuff, which is which takes a week in itself, okay? We opened the show with Goldilocks doing an interview with Brian Lawler. Brian kicks her out of the ring in a way that's very rude. There was a period of this uh, thing where Brian is just breathing in Goldilocks' face. And I'm like, no. There's a lot of breathing in Goldilocks' face. Poor Goldie. She is she is a trooper to put up with everything she puts up with on these shows. Especially for the very little money she's probably making. But Lawler's about to once again reveal what his, what his beef with Jeff is. Jeff comes out, they brawl. Mm-hmm. Was this the backstage Jared attack? 
Um, yes, there's multiple. There's two segments on the show that basically do the same thing. I just wanted to mention that there was a, a, a Jared backstage attack on um, Lola where Jared looked his most Jeff Jared as you could possibly <laughs> look with a, a nice like, kind of pinstripey uh, button-up that was in the, the white and blues that you expect from one Jeff Jared. He is a man of fashion. This was a good month for Jeff Jared gear. I'll tell you that. Gear Watch was on fire. It is actually interesting. Like uh, Jerry Jarrett was really, really angry at Vince Russo for these tapings because you will notice if you watch the show, Jeff Jarrett is presented as this giant badass, this really serious guy who beats up everybody he comes across and he's the toughest guy in the company. And that's like a conscious choice of Jerry's. Like Jerry knows that when Jeff was in WCW, he was a clown. When Jeff was in WWF, he was a clown. He was the slap nuts guy. He was the country music guy. So like there is a very conscious effort because he is one of the like the the marquee stars of TNA to rebrand him for this audience as like a tough guy who should be taken seriously. So he gets very mad at Vince Russo. He was meant to attack Brian Lawler with a a pipe at one stage on the show. And he's like, no, that would make him look too much like a coward, even though he hits everybody with chairs under the sun. You know what he should have hit him with? What? A guitar. Ah, we haven't had a guitar shot yet in TNA. It's very unlike TNA. I am waiting with bated breath. And if you're, I think it is that thing where it's like, we want to detach Jeff Jarrett from the character he used to be so people take him more seriously. But it's like, just let Jeff Jarrett be Jeff Jarrett. There's going to be a point where he makes that like transition from one thing to the other, you know? And that's going to be interesting to see. It's probably going to be whenever he finally gets the NWA title shot and wins. So there was also another segment where Jeff Jarrett was supposed to run out and beat up the X Division guys. And again, that also made Jerry very angry because there was, again, a concerted effort on these shows to not make the mistakes that WCW and WF made with lighter or with smaller wrestlers, where they're these small guys who are not to be taken seriously, they're small guys that are beaten up by the bigger guys, that they are serious, important parts of the show, which uh, they tried to underline even with the tag match between Stas and then against Jarrett and Killings, where they went to a, a double finish so that the X Division guys would be put on the same level as the big heavyweight guys. And they competed with those two too, it wasn't like they were getting fucking eaten up the entire time. Even Jared out there, you know, working with AJ. So that was like a, a big theme of their shows. It's like these X Division guys are serious, and if we had Jared come out and beat them both up, which I imagine was probably the Cash and Red match. He doesn't say specifically it was probably, but he says he was supposed to interrupt an X Division match. Listen, I know we're getting like our backstage reporting from the man himself, mm-hmm. but I have to say, like hearing all like Jerry talk about booking wrestling, it's like yes yes <laughs> this is 100% what should be happening why is no one listening to this man because again it goes to the creative tensions at the center of the thing where it's like Jerry Jeff and Vince Russo all have different visions for pro wrestling and they just kind of bleed out on these shows in different ways there's no cohesive vision why couldn't it just be the Jarrett's <laughs> why from the start couldn't they have just said oh we need to we've got to cut money sorry Vince we've got to take a hundred grand real quick like, it's just, uh, I just imagine what these shows could have been with just the Jarrett's in charge. And like there, there's the DNA of something not special, I don't think. It, I don't think it ever had the talent to be special. But there's the TNA, like, there's the DNA of something that could have been very good the on DNA of TNA, baby, that, Matt Morgan. That, well, that's not for another freaking five years. But when you look at what happened on these shows where they tried to make, like, the old guys, the, the, like, the Brian Lawlers and the Scott Halls and the Ken Shamrocks and the Jeff Jarrett's, the focal point. And what ended up happening is the guys like Loki, the guys like AJ Styles, the guys like Ron Killings, who obviously Ron Killings was in WWE, but no one took him seriously in WWE. These guys who are getting 
having their real opportunity and their real break in this company are what made the company special. But they they took so long. It's like we have to appeal to the old WCW fans. We have to be the attitude era with the actual TNA. We have to be all these things that aren't just like the focal point of like here are the wrestlers that make us special. We're going to put them in interesting scenarios. And it took them so long to get to that. You know, it's still a prevalent issue in 2020 wrestling. But um, get out of the past. <laughs> Stop trying to appeal to the past. Uh, to a degree, I get it in 2002. I mean, 2002, yeah, you're like, what, four years off of the hottest period in fucking wrestling history, in US wrestling history. So I do understand, like, going back to that and being like, well, this is when wrestling was hot, let's do it like that. But now when we're, like, 20 years removed we're two from decades it, away. <laughs> it's just like, let it go. Find wrestling for 2021. It's like in the 2000s being like, you know, we need 80s nostalgia. Hmm. Where were we on this show? Cash defeated Red, but then the SATs came out and gave him a Spanish fly, so no one got over. <laughs> yeah, uh, Cash is a bad guy. He also did the exact same angle as they ended the show with last time, where they they shook hands and then he beat him up. <laughs> That's true. Cash is really good in these shows, by the way. Cash is super underrated. I'll tell you right now, Kid Cash, that's a young Liam Jones guy right there. I was into Kid Cash, mainly because he was the coolest looking guy in SmackDown vs. Raw 2007. Oh, he had those, like, black and yellow tights? The Jerry Lynn tights? I t- I'm telling you right now, uh, in my SBR 07 Wrestling Federation, Kid Cash heavily pushed. Nice. I actually had that Kid Cash gear as an action figure. That's why I think I had such a nostalgia for Kid Cash. Not so much in this era because I was five, but um, <laughs> when he did the return to TNA later on and stuck around for like a year. Yeah, 2011. I was like, yeah, kid, fuck yeah, Kid Cash. So yeah, good wrestler. Also, Amazing Red, good mm. wrestler. They had a good wrestling match. Sonny Siaki defeated Monty Brown in a match was fine. But you know, it did feel like an elevation of Sonny Siaki. It did. And yet, they, again, Siaki's a guy who they recognize has a, a certain charisma and is a guy who's worth pushing. They did a good job of making his character elevated with this Monty win. It helps that like Monty was like, you know, just lost the killings. Now he lost the Siakis. So it made Siaki look like he was in that killings level. Mm, and especially if Monty's on his way out the door. It's a good use of Monty to uh, try, try and elevate Siaki. Especially since, like, during this whole match, I thought Monty was going over for sure. Because so. yeah, he was the push entity. And this is his heat him back up match after he lost. But then he lost again. Yeah. So, Sunny Siaki. We had more Lawler, Bullet, Jarrett nonsense. <laughs> this ran through all of these shows. It's... I don't care. I just don't care. True. There's no amount I can care about this Brian Lawler story. Yeah, who gives Who gives a single shit? Later in the show, it's revealed it's all about his girlfriend and something happened with his girlfriend. But again, we don't find anything out. I just don't mm. care. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, I got nothing to say about it either. Like, who, like, who really cares? Jarrett's good and all this, but, like, who cares? <laughs> Slash introduces us to his new new church buddy, Cobain. The worst gimmick I've ever seen in my life. Basically, it's a gimmick that he wants to kill himself? He wants to kill himself and, uh... Garrett, you may you may not get this right, but um, a little subtle reference. Okay. Um, his name is Cobain, mm-hmm. like Kurt Cobain oh. of Nirvana fame, right? Who famous famously was murdered, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, it's it's cringy. I I really I hated this. I hated this promo. I hate the aesthetic. I just I, I yeah I didn't like it. Uh, the, the exact quote is the thrill of suicide is what he lives wow. for that's clearly the few DS to go in with or maybe he is suicide though maybe this is the long term storytelling maybe he is Kurt Cobain <laughs> you know it's funny like he's doing like the scumboy look right mm-hmm. but like he's not handsome enough to pull it off <laughs> so he just like looks like a messy dude played by Flash Flanagan by the way who you might remember from being in OVW forever yeah, I don't but you know who I do remember 
the motherfucking backseat boys. Yes, who showed up in a four-way match between the new church of Slash and Cobain against the Hotshots against AMW against the backseat boys. This is the only backseat boys in TNA. Oh, fuck. The only time you will see Trent Acid in TNA is this pay-per-view. Trent Acid should have been a TNA, like, top guy. He was, like, perfect. No, I don't think he ever would have been a top guy. He would have been, like, the the fifth guy in the X Division who always did the wildest thing in the multi-man matches. Trent Acid had such fucking potential. That would have been his destiny. I I like me some Trent Acid. I like me some backseat boys. Why do they gotta get, bring in all the cool indie tag teams that I really like and then just immediately can them after one match? The strangest thing in this match is it was a four-team elimination match and there was a period where both of the backseat boys were tagged into the ring and then for some reason they, have pinned each other. they had to start wrestling each other. Were they, were they elim- Was it elimination? It was elimination. They would have eliminated each ah, other. Ah, damn. Then they shouldn't have pinned each other. I was gonna say if it was first fall for a finish. But, like, that's not how tag team matches work. I mean, let's, what's the point of arguing the semantics of this... <laughs> four-way tag team number one contendership NWA TNA match. As we're two hours deep into the show and they were like four hours deep into this television taping. But yes, AMW won as AMW kind of begin to f- find a footing as a regular tag team in this company because people think of AMW as like the, the premier tag team with the early days of the company and they were pretty much missing off a lot of the earlier shows. Uh, yeah, I gotta say it's been one of the biggest shocks to me because I guess just, you know, history gets told a certain way but I definitely thought that like AMW were gonna be all over these shows, tag champs, tearing it up but uh no they're just kind of dopes that are hanging out yeah and they also have the dumb gimmick where chris harris is smoking and james storms is a cowboy and they're like i hate you being a cowboy See, i don't know at least it gives them something i like i hope it gets like resolved soon but i don't mind the the like snarky i'm sick of hanging out with this dope but he's good wrestler so i have to yeah they, they find themselves as the months go on and then they were of course attacked afterwards by Brian Lee and Ron Harris who were like we deserve to be in the gauntlet match even though we lost to AMW last week also there was a big brawl with everyone involved including the backseat boys I assume they will also be in (laughs) the gauntlet there was actually a note after the show it's like the backseat boys impressed and will be brought back and they weren't I wonder whose fault that will catch me. Jarrett wants Bob Armstrong to restore order, which I thought was a good bit, that the dude wasn't running around hitting people with chairs for like two months as they like suddenly once somebody else is doing it to him, it's like, what the hell is going on here? It's an injustice. It's almost like he is a, a snarky bitch. It's almost like he's a Sigma running to someone else to solve his problems. Hey, he shouldn't be relying on other people. That's that's not the Sigma mentality here. That's the opposite of being a Sigma. Oh, damn it, maybe he's not a Sigma. Bruce defeated April Hunter to retain his Miss TNA crown. Bruce is a Sigma. Is he? He does rely on himself. Yes. He does actively push women away from him. Questionable morals. He does, have, he does live in a moral gray space. Yeah, because he just beats up women. Uh, Slick Wagner Gra- Brown was there. Okay, it... Is it Slick or is it Shilk? Because <laughs> they can call him Silk. I always thought it was Slick Wagner Brown. Maybe I was wrong. I also thought it was only it was always Slick Wagner Brown. Hence why I was very surprised when they called him Silk Wagner Brown. Yes, another boring, bad Bruce match. So there you go. Whoa, first of all, there was like a solid two minutes of actual wrestling in this that I was very impressed by. This uh, nothing on the Tina Hamilton match. No, but I, I, I will admit that this is better than the first two matches, which were essentially just like two minutes of choke spot. Dewey's cool little flippy face buster he does and then uh, removing the clothing of one something Vaughn Taylor Vaughn you really hate Taylor Vaughn I don't Vaughan. hate Taylor Vaughn I've come around oh okay it took it took the evening guard match for you to come around on Taylor Vaughn shout outs Taylor Vaughn shout outs Bruce shout outs Chad Siaki did a promo with the Flying Elvises where they were very confused by him and then he like insulted uh, Hulk Hogan to end it he's like take your prayer take your vibe and say your prayers you'll lose your hair bro. it's the first time that uh, Hogan tees coming in <laughs> it's the long term storytelling and then they do the actual match it was fine it was a little sloppy but it's still a co- it's still a cool match you know 
It's one of those ones where it's like, uh, you know, it's good and they kind of fuck some shit up, but hey, they do some flips. That is what we call the SAT special. Ah, and then of course, Siaki comes out and helps the Elvises win, which I assume will be the the reforming of the Elvises, but we're like with uh, Siaki as the main focus, as like a big tough heel man. And these are his lackeys. A real, um, that NXT group that I don't know the name of because I stopped watching the show. MSK. <laughs> yes. MSK and Bronson Reed. That's the trio I'm thinking Legado of. del Fantasma. Yep. Is it Legado del Fantasma? <laughs> yes, it was. Diamond Mine. The Diamond Mine with um, Hideki Suzuki. Hideki Suzuki would have fit in well in early TNI. He would have had a boring match with Jeff or with Ken Shamrock. Sure. Probably would have had a better match with Ken Shamrock than these other ones. To be fair. We had the Goldilocks, Brian Lawler, Ron Killing segment, which I mixed up with one earlier in the show and I think I already described. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was the actual... Uh, the in-ring one. The later one, and the earlier one was the Jarrett attacking him backstage. So, again, he didn't reveal all. I think they were meant to have a match, but Killing's got a concussion, I believe, on the first show, wrestling Monty. So <laughs> He said at one point that like he's going to come out here and like, do all the concussion. I think Don West, something says along the lines of, what a man. Yeah, yeah, Don West was impressed with his man. <laughs> working through his concussion. <laughs> In a different era. Who needs brains? Who needs Zombies, them? usually, but people, no. Zombies? <gasps> Jarrett was wrestling the bullet. And in a weird segment, like, Jarrett beat the hell out of him with a chair and he was about to unmask him. And then they just cut away. <laughs> it's like, all right. Well, didn't they beat the shit out of the original bullet as yeah. well? Yeah. Bloodied him. He beating all the bullets and he beat up Bob Armstrong. And he was about to do the big reveal. Something must have happened, because, like, they cut away very... And, like, there was a hard cut, too. Like, an edit point. We're just going to Mike and Don. Never mind. Yeah, well, maybe we have to track down the original airing of this show, too, and see if there's something that got changed out there. And then our main event. Triple ladder match. AJ Styles Loki against Jerry Lynn for the X Division Championship, in which Jerry Lynn defeated Loki to become X Division Champion. Loki only had a two-week reign as champion for Loki. No wonder you didn't remember it. Mm. i tell you right now, um, I didn't remember that Jerry Lynn won the title, either, <laughs> until... I saw him under the other thumbnails that he had the championship. Nah, that spoiled it. Yeah, Big Jerry Lynn title win was spoiled for me. It was in this match that I was really like, I wanted to mention that I think Jerry Lynn has also been one of the the stalwarts and the the best acts on these early NWA TNA pay-per-view shows as well. I think um, everything that Jerry's done has been pretty good. And he's, uh, now that he, I think he's definitely found himself more in this like babyface veteran role than the bitter veteran role. And I don't think he was ever meant to be a bitter veteran. It's just, that's how just the bad story came across. <laughs> I don't know, that first week was pretty blatant. Like, he beat the fuck out of him backstage and then was like, little young whippersnappers. It's just total inconsistency, I guess. I've gone back and checked and they, the, the hard cut is in the original broadcast as well. So. Hmm. What happened? Maybe they did a reveal, but they were like, because this show was taped, obviously. And maybe it's like, maybe we don't want to do the reveal. We'll leave it till the next show. So they cut it out. Maybe. Yeah, this match ruled. This match was so good. It's just a really cool ladder match. This was a right banger. As the kids Like, there's said. a bunch of cool spots where, like, Loki does the title crush, but Ledger then cat- catches him into a powerbomb and goes to run across the ring and powerbomb into a ladder. But then Loki countered him again into a ran into the ladder, which is really neat. There was one really sweet powerbomb reversal from Lin 2 towards the end of the match. He just catches him. And the finish was a freaking cradle pile driver awful ladder. <laughs> Which looked like killer. Like Jerry's like been absolutely killing it with his cradle uh, pile drivers too. He also hit another murderous spear. There's a lot of spear. Like Tina Hamilton hit a great spear. Jerry Lynn is hitting great spears mm. every week. I didn't, I didn't know that Jerry Lynn was a dude who threw spears. He does a great one apparently. It's better than edges. Apparently so. This might actually be the most Jerry Lynn I've seen. Like, consecutively. Again, going back to my talking point, Liam, that he's underrated. More people should respect him. See, I didn't realise that Jerry Lynn was such a stalwart of the early TNA times. Which I think that's a, like, a dude whose name gets buried fairly uh, 
easily. Well, he's called the pioneer of the X Division. Is he? Yeah, it's a thing. People literally called him for years the pioneer of the oh, X Division. Well, fuck me, I guess. You gotta learn your TNA history. That's later. literally what I'm doing. That's true. I've I've roped you into this. The yeah, force. Here. Okay, well then, fuck my point. Though. Jerry Lynch, <laughs> wildly recognized as the fucking goat. I guess. Sure. No, you're right, you are right though. He probably doesn't get the respect he deserves these days, and he should. He's a great wrestler, and people don't think of him as a great wrestler. I uh, attest that we can no longer refer to Born in the USA. Which is not the name of the song. <laughs> as AJ Styles theme, it is thoroughly a Jerry Lynn theme. Yes, it is It is settled in as Jerry's theme song. Because AJ got his good music. Yes. And this is the most AJ, AJ gear so far. He does look like himself, doesn't he? He has a very weird, like, orange, like, uh, tribal symbol under the styles. But it's the closest we've gotten to, to full-blown AJ, I think. As he works out his look. He still doesn't know what he's doing with his hair. To be sure, I'm nearly 30 and I still don't know what I'm doing with my hair. So I can't judge him. There's one thing I know, it's my hair. In that it's long and I don't have to do anything about it because I can just tie it up if I need to make it into a thing. I got Hangman Page hair, but not as good. Well, no one has Hangman Page level hair, to be fair. <laughs> that man needs to stop wetting his hair, though. What are you doing, Page? You look like a star with that fluffy, luxurious hair. Don't wet it down. Be the one wrestler who does it. You're jealous, aren't you? No, because that's, that's how my hair looks. <laughs> I just want to relate more. This is Hangman Page talk in the two and a half hour mark. We're not quite that far in yet, but that is the end of the show. That's August 2002. As we said, a month where they found more consistency in terms of the storytelling and the terms of like the consistency of the roster. And, and maybe match quality. Yeah, even match quality. Like There's not a lot great, but there's also not a lot that's terrible. Maybe a little on the boring side, but it's better than being bad. I would rather bad than boring so really what you're saying is this month was bad no because i thought most of the wrestling was actually pretty good well there you go like i said i like uh i forget which one it was i think it was 10 was like my highest rated show so far mm. and you had the cool matches between Stalin and loki which defined the early years of the x division and uh we get the the sats and you know which is someone like i i think i had noticed that the sats existed like in tna but to me they were always an roh team through and through so it was very interesting for me to see them get uh, the shot here and to seemingly get over enough with the people backstage to get brought back in consistently like I always like Red to me was a TNA guy but the SATs thoroughly I, like I think I knew but I, I didn't know and they, they brought energy to these shows and these shows can sometimes lack a little energy and the SATs are nothing if not bottled energy I feel like you know you replace the hot shots with the backseat boys and keep the briscoes around obviously yes well you know yes <laughs> That is our show for this uh, week. We'll be back in two weeks covering September 2002, which is, as we mentioned, might be a shorter episode because there's only two shows that month. But obviously there's a lot going on behind the scenes as they desperately look for financing for Panda Energy. Which show are we are we watching along for that one? For the people? Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked at them yet. So, <laughs> mm, We got the X Division special or we got the, the one real show? <laughs> well, uh, to be fair two real shows in an exhibition special so shows on the 18th and the 25th but we'll be back in two weeks talking about those as, as Liam mentioned there's a watch along on the Patreon right now of NWTNA baby number 8 and there'll be another one in two weeks next week we'll be back with episode 3 of You've Got To Be Kidding Me's look back at the Monday Night Wars uh, where we look at the March 15th episodes of Brawl and Impact from 2010 that'll be on the Patreon as well also show notes spreadsheets uh, written reviews all that on the Patreon at patreon.com slash kidding me you can follow us on Twitter at TNA History Pod is the, our at follow me on Twitter at Gary Kidney. You can follow Liam on Twitter at the Gleet Muta. That is our episode for another two weeks. Thanks for listening and bye bye. The Gleet Muta.
I will never not say Gleet. Gleet is too much fun to say. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at 